what are we going to tell our children about this period of American history? When the millennials were coming into power, when Donald Trump, Cheeto Jesus, our reality TV president was in charge, so to speak, as much as a president could be. When we find the world shut down over a virus with a lower fatality rate than a midnight ride with Senator Ted Kennedy. A virus with a lower death rate than testifying against Hillary Clinton, good old H-Dog. A fatality rate lower than whatever's turning the frogs gay. A death rate lower than protesting at Kent State. A death rate lower than driving wild black in America. A death rate lower than trying to spend a counterfeit $20 bill in Minneapolis. A death rate from a virus that is probably lower than whatever vaccine they're going to give us for that virus. How are we going to explain the madness of the current age if we don't step up and take charge and get this under control ourselves? Thank you so much for tuning into the Adam versus the Man podcast. It's another casual Friday special edition, very casual show. Not just because I'm wearing my fa- favorite plaid shirt. This is we we designated this a long time ago. The one plaid to rule them all. I should, you know what? We're gonna just for the people who are actually watching live because we're so grateful for our live audience every day. Those who take the time to tune in and join us. Uh, who actually watch the show because you know this is a this is a, a weird thing for me. I have a sty. It's gross. Did, did, everybody knows what a sty is, right? That it's like a uh, a big whitehead zit in your eyelid. It's gross and it's it's really painful and annoying. Uh, but I'm doing the show anyway. I'm just gonna I'm gonna wear some glasses. But I have Jim. Do you see what I just did there? I have. I have sunglasses. I just remembered that they were sitting here in the box with my my special auxiliary sunglasses collection. By the way, that's like that's the my one big indulgence, like that I'm a total geek of, and it's like three dollar sunglasses. Amazon Wish, like you know what? This is we should make a contest out of this. Send Adam sunglasses. And if he wears them on the show, you can call in, right? You'll be first in line for a call. Or how about send Adam a pair of sunglasses? We'll put my P.O. box in the notes, P.O. Box 973, Ash Fork, Arizona, 86320. We got some fun contests going today. Jim knows I'm a big sunglasses nerd. And it's it's like, it's just, I'm, I got, it's my, like my one stylistic, so maybe it's a good thing. I get to wear sunglasses for uh, for a few days on Adam versus the Man in public here on this show, instead of my normal uniform of the white button-down shirt. Comment Jim Freedom with us in studio today. We have a couple special contests going on. We are giving away not one, 
but two, that way I can make a peace sign, two memberships to the Producers Club. We just finally named it. What does it mean to be in the Producers Club? Uh, the Producers Club is what you get membership in if you're a $10 a month or more patron through patreon.com slash Adam versus the man. We've got three tiers. Jim, you see how I added those pictures? That seems really bad for our audio audience now. You see we added? And, and look, in that picture in the middle, can you see what I'm wearing? I don't know, Jim. Uh, can, can you zoom? Yeah. And... The and glasses. the same glasses. Look at that from when I first got these like a year and a half ago. So we've got good, better, best. And we are grateful for all of our good patrons for $5 a month who get access to behind the scenes footage, which is a lot of Garden of Freedom stuff. A lot, like you can, like right now, if you weren't one of our good patrons, you wouldn't know that I'm wearing sweatpants. Uh, how how undressed I am from the waist. Sweatpants and flip-flops. Still in my pajamas here. Dressed up from the waist up as usual for the show. Behind the scenes, you can see what I'm doing to help take down the pants industry in America along with the coronavirus shutdowns. You know this was a thing, right? Like Walmart is actually saying they're having issues with the supply chain for pants. Because people not going out in person, have being everything, you know, a lot of interactions going virtual. People are actually are still buying stuff to dress up from the waist up yeah. and not from the waist down. It's just like funniest little wrinkle of the whole coronaphobia crisis for me. The blow to the pants industry. The world's smallest violin for all the uh, pants corporations in America. Anyway, so we also have our better patrons. And they are better people because they give us $10 a month. And for $10 a month, the main perk is you get access to the producers club. Holy crap! Is someone in? Whoa! To say something this time. Whoa! And statism with us for a twenty dollars super chat, kicking things off, setting the bar high. Is anybody going to beat this for today's show? Man, I don't know. Did, did he? We hadn't announced it yet. Did he just ruin our first contest here? <laughs> I said our second contest. Thank you for that wonderful super chat and statism. The name is the comment, yes, and statism turning to the organized he coercion says, of government. Jim Freedom 2020. All right, oh, right, oh, oh, right. Well, 24. Yeah, well, he still has hope for this year. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> there, there have been some people, uh, man, we're going to get really inside libertarian baseball here just like that. Yeah, there's some, and I'm not in the running here except as, you know, backbencher at this point. But, you know, and Joe Jorgensen, not only is she a great candidate for the Libertarian Party, as close, like, as close as it was with Jacob Hornberger and, and you know, and Vermin Supreme at, in, in the final ballot there, really, for Hornberger, uh, th- th- there have been rumblings of, we're going to overturn the result at the in-person convention in Orlando, if that even happens. There's like, I'm still, I'm ready. I got it not blocked off on my calendar. And for me, I'm very fortunate. My logistics are pretty easy for that. Thanks to this bus, no force one. We get to just drive to Orlando and stay in the parking lot, you know, and it's great. But, uh, for the people who are like, yeah, I got to, you know, book a flight and make hotel reservations. You know, if, if you're lucky enough to have a job and even have the luxury of making that decision right now, if you can come to Orlando, Jim, like, think about it. If you get, you get a regular job and you're like, well, I'm, I'm doing okay. You know, everybody else is hurting, but I'm doing okay. 
I can afford this, but you still got to go, well, I'm going to put in like, I don't know, at least $1,500. Yeah. I mean, if you're flying, if you're flying from far away, you're flying from the opposite. If you're flying from the West coast to Orlando, I don't know. Maybe flights are really cheap right now, but you gotta, you gotta make the logistical arrangements. You're, you're, I mean, yeah, hotels, food. I suppose if you got a ridiculously good deal on a plane ticket and hotels, I mean, you could, you could get it under $800 maybe, but realistically, more like a thousand. You're putting it, you're saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a thousand dollars on the line as an investment, possibly non-refundable to be ready to go to Orlando for a libertarian national convention and go shit that could all just boop, gone second wave of the virus is here sorry you know and you know this again within my realm of predictions of you know how bad things could get um it could get a lot worse and still be within the realm with, with like this, this is not like way worse but just prolonging what we have now just continuing to scramble logistical plans and all. I mean, that's the thing is when someone intervenes with something like this, and I mean the government economic intervention, not the viral intervention, it makes this, and there's so many incalculable, literally incalculable economic costs. I mean, you could come up with a range perhaps in terms of the scope of the economy. How much does it cost us right now? That you can't plan anything that could be affected by corona lockdowns for the next three or four months. Like realistically, like even for me, someone who's got, I think, not only a complete detachment from the threat of the virus itself, I understand what it is. I understand as a very healthy 38-year-old, I'm my 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 it is less Ooh. of a threat than the flu itself. Well, we got a bet a bigger super chat. What? We're frozen. Oh, Kimberly Wood. Whoa. $50. Whoa. Getting She's deep here. No kidding. We haven't even announced the contest yet. <laughs> you know what? I, I think we should just, we should, we should make this a one-time special deal today. And Kim, stand by. This is a great, holy shit, this is a great question. You got me to curse again yeah. for YouTube. What four reasons should a person be ready to die? I, I'm going to come, we're going to, that, like, we're going to come back to that. We're going to skim some headlines. We're going to take a lot of comments and chats. I haven't even gotten to the point yet of explaining the contests today, and I'm <laughs> modifying them, like, in my head as I'm trying to get through all this. But no, Kim, this is a, thank you for the $50 super chat. And we are going to get back to that. That is huge. And this is um, I, this here. This is a big question. And whoa. Wow. Jupe. Adam, you're the distraction I needed right now. You never disappoint for $19.99 in the super chat. All right. Now, see, I, I just with that and I haven't even I can't even get to explaining why yet. But because Jupe, you just put in for I got to change the contest again in my head. OK, so. Jim, aside from the contest, what loose threads have I just opened up that we need to to wrap up? How, like in the first ten. All right. So the first contest, we'll get this out of the way so that you guys in the comments watching can have fun with this today. Please, please, please engage with this. You don't have to super chat. You just have to write in. 
less deadly than blank. And your blank is your answer. And the best one today is going to get membership to the producers club. I was so, I still see that was it. I hadn't even finished explaining our new Patreon setup. So we have good, better, best. Good $5 a month gets you the exclusive behind the scenes footage. $10 are better patrons. They are the ones who get access to the producers club. And the producers club means we add you to our private telegram group chat. If you don't know what telegram is, it's just a text messaging chat app. that's all digital, better for sending files, better for sending links, better for group management, all sorts of things. Um, it, it's sort of a, you know, next generation text messaging app. It's amazing. Um, not paid to say this at all. There's no ads. I honestly, I, I, they, what do they make money on? They have some kind of premium, like some other kind of whatever. I don't know. I don't see ads for me. It's totally free. It's totally functional, happy to support it and give these people exposure for whatever it is they're making money. I don't even know. I feel silly talking about this, but I don't know a little bit more about Telegram's business model, honestly, because I should. Um, but we add you to our Telegram group chat. You download the app. We add you to the group. It uses phone numbers, or you can do emails or usernames within Telegram. Again, it's the ultimate basic messaging app. So we add you to this group, and I'm on this 24-7. This is our producers club, CJ and Jim, the three of us, the core team of this show. We are on this app. 24 7 i treat it like text messaging and it's the one thing i love being super reliable with i'm there constantly you know and and by the way little little quick so many sidebars this morning a uh, little sidebar like i keep my ringer off all the time you can't call me you can't interrupt what i'm doing if i put my phone in my pocket and i'm having a conversation i'm present with you my phone is not going to interrupt me and that allows me to stay focused on either what i'm doing and then go to my phone and i'm on my phone like, you know, I don't know, Jim, you know, you, you, we, Jim and I, like, if you see in the producer's chat, I'm talking to people in the producer's club chat, you need to get in there and change the name right now. I get it. Because we just came up with this right before the show. It's the producer's club. And that's really the best name for it that explains it. This is the Adam versus the man producer's club. And you get to be in the telegram chat. I'm in there multiple times a day. Uh, CJ and Jim are in there constantly. And, uh, you get access to the backstage right now. If you're in there, you got a link to StreamYard. You could be watching this through your browser, through the mechanism of StreamYard as a backstage guest. And then you don't even count our live stream count, but who cares about that? You know, but you get access to the chat there too. So you're first in line. And like today, we're going to take callers. We got time. Anybody today who wants to call into the show, talk on video with us live. We're going to have you on today if you're in that backstage chat. So $50 are our – I know, I know. They keep coming in. Was it people, people don't want to stop giving me money today. This is amazing. Yeah, we're, and we're going to be putting this towards building the show, growing this platform, fighting the censorship, and making it more sustainable for Jim and CJ and I to bring you an awesome production every single day. So, well, five days a week. Plus, CJ is going to be – I've got so much more. I'm, I'm like – I'm I'm – enjoying right now really watching cj up the production you know really you can see every week the show gets better noticeably i've got more content stuff cj i'm gonna keep throwing at you i got like he's gonna have videos scheduled to go a weekend and eventually then we'll get back to you know and i'm i i love doing this i i love just being able to communicate with a live audience and have the feedback and this is you know maybe we'll end up doing something seven days a week and then we can go back to 
our um, we can go back to our our slogan Adam versus the man anchoring the internet seven days a week. I love that. Anyway, we, we got to live up to that one though, before we can really start using it. So for $50, you are in our best patron elite producer club. And that basically just means I'll, I'll be your friend on Facebook or follow you on Twitter, whatever else you want like that. And you get to be in the front of the line for callers. When we do callers on the show, we got another super chat right now. So from this is this is amazing. This is why I got to change the rules of the contest because people are being so generous today. I want to be generous to all of you, especially in this early phase of the show. We want to build the producers club and, and the producers club is also people, you know, it's, it, you know, I've been inspired by, uh, you know, free talk live and uh, free domain radio and so many other great libertarian productions where hosts like Mark edge, Ian Freeman, Stefan Molyneux. And, and those are just the, the big ones off the top of my head. There are really so many others, you know, like the amp club that, that, uh, that they have with free talk live. Involving people who care about this message, because this really is a big part of what sets independent media apart. Those of us who succeed in independent media do so because we have active, engaged audiences, not corporate sponsorship. In fact, if you don't have corporate sponsorship, you better have an active and engaged audience, not just to make your show logistically possible, but to spread it. Like I said, to fight the censorship, you know, just this just yesterday. Got an email that a video we posted on YouTube with uh, talking about some kind of beer. I don't, I, you know, I don't know if I should mention it, but call, saying that there was a false alarm. Just a video with the title, you know, beer dash nineteen false alarm, right? Yeah, fun self censorship exercise here, right? You know, and uh, that one got pulled. So I put, you know, I just called it out, and I'm, I'm a little more polite and respectful and humble. And appreciative still of YouTube and and these platforms uh, that make this possible right now. And if they reform, you know, hey, you know, I you, I, I've talked about like uh, transitioning to uh, decentralized blockchain-based social media. Right, is the future for social media is a big part of the future of the internet. And you know, this question just occurred to me. Like, ah, thank you. There you go. CJ's got that pulled up on screen. That's the email we got. And, you know, could, would it be okay if we just kept YouTube going and it reformed? Would they, like, I, I, I like that there's competition and pressure from, you know, DTube, right? As, as the Steam had associated and, and, and BitChute, right? And that's when I want to get involved in library, LBRY. Uh, if you're interested in, you know, looking all those up, we're going to be incorporating those. With the show more as we go again, stuff I got to throw at CJ uh, in in my big bag of tricks. Uh, but it, would it be better if one of those became the new thing, or that we were able to reform YouTube and its massive library and mechanisms and and history of internet video? Would it be better if we reformed that? Would it be better if we? You know, started like would YouTube will YouTube outlast government? I mean, it's kind of you know because you look at these two possibilities, right? That we that we overthrow YouTube and all social media with crypto-based decentralized social media or blockchain-based, or they're able to to continue indefinitely and transition somehow and eventually at least meet the demands of a more conscientious market that doesn't want this censorship, doesn't want the cooperation with government, right? And 
in a way, these corporations are manipulated and taken over by government with a gun to their head, right? It, do, do you blame the corporation if government goes, ah, you're going to give us a backdoor, you're going to censor these things, or, or we're going to put you out of business? Because we can. You know, do you fall? I, now it makes me, see, this makes me like, feel sorry for YouTube for all the evil censorship and pollution of the conversation that they have caused and distortion of reality for so many people. I still want to be like, but they were the first. They, were, they did this. They were the, they were the big ones. It's such a beautiful brand. I've got my silver plaque for hitting a quarter million subs. You know, like where's, no, no, it was a hundred million, a hundred thousand subs. I got a silver plaque. You know, you get a gold one for a million. It's like, oh my God. You know, know, maybe it can be saved. Maybe it can be reformed. Maybe uh, if YouTube as a corporate entity can outlast government, uh, you know, imagine we we get rid of the federal government or we effectively get rid of the federal government and, and big nationals around the world, get rid of the, their effects of corporatism and and the uh, financial manipulations of all the fiat currency stuff, maybe then YouTube can be, you know, the golden boy of the internet again. So who knows? Um, we can hope. So we got our first contest out, one membership for the Producers Club, and I've, I've got, I've still got Jim's laptop here because I'm like bogarting it because I still haven't gotten to our next 1999 super chat from Daniel Henry, who writes, Peace and freedom. You've always been a great, friendly, intelligent dude when I met you in Pomona, California. Thank you so much, Daniel. I appreciate that. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting back to touring, too. And touring with Jim, being able to do this show with this lightweight model. We don't need, uh, you know, we just need to get this RV fully functional so we get the slides in and out they're like really that's like well no they're they it needs some other work too don't get me wrong it's been a rough couple years on the road for no force one but that we can do this show uh remotely from from anywhere in the country you know we're going to be touring next year uh we might be touring a little bit this year to support joe we're going to be going to orlando assuming that happens with the bus and um yeah yeah i, I, I love it i miss i miss being and you know, the other things when we tour, we, we were doing these round tables and, uh, you know, we had a lot of fun, uh, with all these, you know, podcast round table yeah, discussions. There's a new one. There's another one. I haven't even announced, like you guys are winning this contest. Wayne Spencer chipping in for $20. Thank you so much, Wayne. That's amazing. All right. All right. So here's, here's the contest, right? Here's, here's a special, it's, it's not a contest anymore. Just a special deal, right? Just for for one day only. For those of you who don't want to give Patreon your credit card, who don't want to get billed monthly, but you still want to be in the Producers Club, anybody who super chats us today for the low, low price of $19.99 or more, you set the numbers, guys. It was you. I was going to say $20.99. I couldn't, like, turn down the guy who just before I announced Chipped in 1999. Like, no, you're included too. So anybody who's in for a super chat today or 1999 or more will get to be in the producers club. One time offer. The price will go up as the, as, as the super chats keep going up. And, uh, I think, I think for Kim, for her $50 super chat, we can say she's in the, she's in the elite. She's in the best page. Well, it's, so what is so what do we say you get membership in for the best patrons? Uh you get 
membership in the uh the best patrons get access they get front of the line and the co-producers club no co-producer status co-producer that's status. it everybody for ten dollars or more or 19.99 today in a super chat gets to be a member of the producers club anybody who's in for fifty dollars or more gets to be a co-producer which uh which just means you're the front of the line backstage basically and uh yeah, so we're going to get to your calls. But first, CJ, if you would, please pull up that super chat from Kim again for $50. That's, this is, this is amazing. And I'm, I'm actually, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to hopefully share some useful wisdom on a deep topic here. What four reasons, what four reasons should a person be ready to die? Or I think that means, I think she meant, there, for what reasons should a person be ready to die? And knowing Kim and where this is coming from, she is someone who has a deep spiritual grounding that very much uh, informs her relationship with the message as a Christian who knows that the only manifestation of those Christian ethics and politics is libertarianism, the non-aggression principle, self-ownership. And Kim, if you have any follow-ups, reasons equal causes. Yeah, causes, exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at here, Kim. Thank you. And I hope I'm representing you well in characterizing your spirituality and the relationship that you have to freedom as, as a result of that. And the things that we've talked about in, you know, what you have come to admire in me as an activist who has shown over and over again that I'm willing to put my life on the line for certain things. And th- that that's a related but a different question. I'll answer first, I hope, quickly here. And risking life is not the same as giving your life. And th- this covers a lot, I think, of, of what scenarios Kim's question raises. Because people say that I'm brave for my activism, for running for president on a treasonous platform, uh, for, you know, loading a shotgun in civil disobedience, for facing down police officers, for living uh, a lifestyle of civil disobedience. And I tell people, and it's a very important idea to break down, that I'm not brave. I don't get to do these things because I am brave. I mean, I'm not like, I'm not a coward, <laughs> obviously, right? But I'm not, it, when, when it comes to courage, I don't, I've, I, I don't think I'm, I'm on some special scale. I'm probably braver than most. Yeah, sure. Um, and this is a really important meaning distinction that's not just rhetorical and sort of what is courage? You know, is it courageous when you know exactly what you're doing, when you know what the risk and reward is and you make the decision based on that? No, it's courageous when you don't know, when you're being shot at and you have no idea and you say, I'm going to do what I see is the right thing, knowing only that it can hurt me and not knowing the risks and not knowing the reward. That's courage. That's what courage is for, for those times of uncertainty. That's not what makes me special. What makes me special in the realm that people mistake for bravery 
is confidence in my calculation than risk reward. And it's really two simple things. One on, on the risk side, most people see getting arrested and it just whoop, can't calculate. It's just they, they might as well be death. And then on the reward side, what I'm able to see is all of the benefits in freedom that most people don't. And so I'm able to weigh the risk reward with confidence and say, okay, so, you know, I guess every time I go and interact with a cop, especially in, a, in an arrest scenario for civil disobedience, yeah, my, my risk of death goes up a little bit. But I can put that in a risk reward scenario where I go, it's, it's worth it. And that's the other thing I suppose is that, you know, a lot of people aren't willing to, to, to do anything that risks their life. You know, well, now what's the quote from the, one of the founders and it's tickling the back of my mind is, is, is life so sweet that you would rather live on your knees than die on your feet? And that gets us more to the heart of Kim's question. For those times when you don't have that risk reward analysis to be able to weigh things against. And you just go, I have to be willing to die for this. And I think of Spock, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, as he said when he made that great cinematic sacrifice. Should you be willing to die to give up your life to save another? I think so. I think that's a part of what makes humanity great. One of the most beautiful parts of human nature. Why that cinematic moment so tugged at my heartstrings and has stuck with me through the decades. I remember Spock. Yeah, giving his life to save the ship. That we would do that. And when you realize to go back to, you know, for what causes, and, and you weigh that realization against the risk-reward scenario, well, here's the reward that I see that a lot of people don't, just based on an honest understanding of government. So we are saving lives with what we are doing. Every time you speak up for justice, for freedom, for ethics, for doing the right thing. Every time you do something to rein in government power today, could be a life saved in the future. And when you see that as the reward, there's no risk too great. And really, to put it in context, the risk of death today in confronting the state is so insignificant, at least historically speaking. You raise a voice against the king, and you find yourself crucified. Not today. What's the worst that I got to worry about here, Jim? Getting censored on the internet? Being, being digitally shut down. Hey, I've still got my 10 acres in the mountains. I've still got, you know, my self-sufficiency here. 
I've still got my smile every morning. You can't take that from me. Not today, anyway. There are some people who get killed in speaking up and protesting. If you do it, I don't want to say the wrong way, but if you take some certain risks, like, you know, uh, what was it? The Hastings, the Rolling Stone reporter who was going after guys at the Pentagon by name, dies in a mysterious car crash. I don't need to do that. I don't need to go after individuals. That's not the bigger fight anyway. That's not where we're most helpful. And it's such a beautiful coincidence in today's reality that the things that you do to save the most lives in the future in the realm of standing up to injustice in the world carry relatively little risk. So the cause of freedom standing up to government injustice really is the cause of human life itself. And I think every cause that falls into that category of standing up to systemic injustice that is a danger to the future is something worth dying for. And we live in a time when we can throw ourselves into this cause and know that if we adhere to our own principles, to ethics, to the non-aggression principle, that we can stand up with so much confidence in what we're doing that really the risk of death is so insignificant in the fight for freedom, it shouldn't factor into our calculations at all. Thorough enough answer for that one, Jim. Do we have any good, uh, do we do less deadly than comments? Yeah, we did, but something else just came in. A whole nother one. Oh, wow. Brian Webb also stepping up as a co-producer for a $50 super chat today. Freedom is worth the fight against the drones of those who want more slaves. Mm, and this is, this is uh, I believe, my, fr- my friend Brian Webb from California, Pastor Webb, who wrote Christian Freedom. I don't know off the top of my head where you can find it, but it's a great work. In wow, Christians are really feeling generous today, aren't they? Uh, the uh, can the atheists step up? Let's make this an atheist versus Christian donation contest for the pantheist in the middle. Yeah, um, no. So Brian Webb uh, wrote a great uh, a great book uh, that makes that connection with uh, the message of freedom and Christian ethics. And I'm, I'm I'm so grateful for that work. And I, I designed the logo for him. I think if you if you look up Christian Freedom Brian Webb, you should be able to find the PDF somewhere. I think I have it hosted on the Freedom Line. I should have it hosted on the FreedomLine.com somewhere. Anyway, now Brian, as grateful as I am for your super chat here, uh, I I do have to take a little issue with the language. Brian Webb, freedom is worth the fight against the drones of those who want more slaves. And now I'm, I'm with you on, on everything really except the fight against part here. So freedom is worth, it's worth, yeah, no question. I think I made the worthiness of freedom abundantly clear. Uh, the, but, and, and, and those who want more slaves, yes, that, that, that is kind of the eternal human power struggle, right? There, and you know, Ernie Hancock, freedomsphoenix.com likes to say it as there are those who want to be left alone, and those who won't just leave us alone. 
And like, you know, that's it. There's, there's, there's a, you know, the line between good and evil runs through every human heart. There's a tendency in all of us to want to exploit others rather than live by providing value. And by the way, this is one of the most insidious paradigm crushing retarding effects of the welfare state in that it uh, it disincentivizes people wanting to live by virtuous relationships with others, either by asking or providing value, as opposed to conning or ripping off or exploiting, right? Um, and it's not to say that someone, someone who is an uh, in, 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 in invalid in some way shouldn't ask for charity. It's not to say you have to pull yourself up. No, I'm all for charity. I'm all for taking care of people who can't take care of themselves. But it's just, there's, there's, there's a, there's a dividing line of, are, are you, you know, going about making a living and taking care of yourself virtuously or unvirtuously, ethically or unethically? You know, maybe it's not unethical to accept the welfare, but you know that it's being taken from people, you know, and uh, today, by the way, take all the welfare you can get. At this point, that's on the virtuous side. But then there are the people who sort of, as, as Brian articulates very well here, want more slaves. And really, that's, again, the eternal fight that we're up against. We see historically, over the course of all of human history, it's the people who want to live non-virtuously, Right? And the last part of your statement there, Brian, the fight against the drones. There's got to be some good movie analogy here, right? I'm thinking like, oh, man, I've got like a dozen different movie scenes popping into my head of some like uh, fantasy. I'm thinking Game of Thrones, right? The, the, the Ice King, you know, can, brings people back to life as, as his zombies. And you have to kill them. Because they're part of his evil army trying to kill you, right? But isn't there some example of this where they're like actual zombies? They're not dead and reanimated, uh, where they're just under a spell. And it's like if you if you you see the evil overlord, right? And if you go you go kill all the the, the soldiers that he's got under his spell. Okay, now it's easier to kill him. But you just killed all these people who were victims themselves who didn't need to die. If you had just gone straight to killing him, they're all liberated and alive, right? Are there, there are movies like, come on, someone help me, out, Jim, CJ, no, I'm not. There are examples of this, right, in cinematic history. CJ's got something. Yeah. CJ, what's the movie I'm not thinking of? Actually, the Matrix, sir, I guess. Yeah, actually, sir, I'm I'm popping up here for a reason. Uh, I just wanted to say to Brian Webb, you're. For some reason, your super chat is not showing up in our feed, at least on my end, so I can't bring it on the screen. So oh. it's nothing intentional. I don't know why it's doing that, but I see it in the chat. Just wanted to. Let we you got know. it red. We got it red. We got it covered. New one. Too. Oh, we got a new one coming. No, but no someone. Comment. Okay, so we got a new one. No comment from. Not a Von Von. All right, Jim's mom weighing in wants to be. In the producers club today for twenty dollars. Okay, but all right, yeah, <laughs> thanks, mom. Uh, okay, but seriously, someone's got someone help me out with this. Is there no cinematic moment 
that, that's the perfect analogy for this. I really want, I want to know this because I want to be able to make the point in the future. Actually, I think this is, this is a really good libertarian thing to know. We, we need to develop this talking point right now. What's the movie where the bad guy had people under his spell and you could kill them or you might have had to, but it would have been better if you killed them uh, or killed the guy whose spell they were under and you liberate them from the spell. Come on. Because this is well, this is going to be a perfect analogy for... It's not the Matrix. It's not the people not the in the Matrix, pods. But, but, like, no, no, it's... It, I have another analogy. It's, 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 it's a perfect the analogy for cops and soldiers today. Do we... And bureaucrats. And, yeah. see, this is what Brian inspired me with, the, the fight against the drones. No, you don't fight the drones. You liberate the drones. That has to be our attitude. All right, so we're giving away another. So you have one. I was thinking of iRobot. It's sort of similar I to robot. humans. I don't think but, I've seen. Oh, you never seen iRobot? Will Smith, the robots take over. They're, mm. they're, they have this. All the robots that are supposed to make your world better, they have an update so that it makes it evil, and they're destroying all the robots and everything. But when they kill the main source of it, all yeah, that's close. But there's got to be again. one with yeah. with people or <laughs> like. Yeah creatures that we relate to as sentient beings you know yeah. and, and, and in that sense you've been like well we can kill all the robots and rebuild them we're not killing it like and that misses the point of like i think it was an episode of an old Joe Carson. <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay so well that. yeah but you got to get like i think that was a, oh, okay maybe yeah there's cobra command or star wars D3. is there an example in star wars i'm like racking my brain now thinking back all the star wars plots Okay, we're going to table this. We're going to get through some headlines. So we have three contests going right now. Have we had any less deadly than jokes? Any good? No one wants to win their producer club membership by just having a less deadly than joke about the coronavirus. Just to go over this list again, less deadly than a midnight ride with Senator Ted Kennedy, testifying against Hillary Clinton, whatever is turning the frogs gay, protesting at Kent State, Driving while black in America, trying to spend a counterfeit $20 bill in Minneapolis or the vaccine for the virus itself. Um, if you have a better coronavirus is less deadly than joke, you can win a uh, membership in our producer club today. If you can help me with this talking point, if we can finish this analogy, what's the, the, the Lord most? Of the, Rings, the second movie, the part with Wormwood. But that's one dude. Yeah. That was, that was the, you're talking about King. Yeah. I mean, that's a good example. Like, yeah, don't kill the king who's under a mind control spell. Kill the guy who's got him under the spell. That, that, I mean, I guess that's kind of like, that kind of applies to Trump. Like, don't kill Trump. Right. Kill the banking system, you know, right? Or you know, kill the status paradigm. Um, hmm. Yeah. No, there's got to So wait, but the, I'm thinking, was there another example of Lord of the, from Lord of the Rings where they had like an army or a civilization? Under a spell? I don't think so. I feel like one is right there. Like, there's one that we're all going to go. Yeah, all right. So, (laughs) you can chip in $19.99 for Super Chat or more to be a member of our producer club or $50 or more for our co-producer status today. And if you have the best, less deadly than comment, or you can help me finish this analogy, you will also get memberships in the producer's club. All right. To the headlines. 
from sacramento.cbslocal.com. Siri, I'm being pulled over. Phone shortcut helps people record police. This is just beautiful. That it, and, and we've had this technology. We've had different versions of this. But now so direct, so popular as a cause. I don't think they can, like, they've been keeping stuff like this out of, uh, the app stores or, you know, and so like, if you want something like this, it's had to have been, you know, uh, dark web coded through a rooted phone and, you know, all this, all this other stuff you got to do. But now that it's kind of undeniable that police represent a unique threat and police accountability is something that you better not stand in the way of. This is something that is now uniquely possible of being a thing something that everybody should have on their phone now it looks like it's just iphone right now if someone has uh you know some other version of this again in the comments if you want to let us know before we wrap up this segment what other apps you use for this for covertly recording police if there are things that you like uh there are different apps but this one this is just called police a shortcut app called Police for iPhones is gaining traction following recent events showing excessive force by police officers. The shortcut enables your phone to secretly record officers. You give the command, I'm being pulled over, and the program pauses any music you were playing, goes into Do Not Disturb mode, dims the phone's brightness, and starts recording on the phone's front-facing camera. I assume with an app like this, you can set these parameters for yourself, right? It gets better, though. Further, <coughs> once you stop the recording... It will send the video to a designated contact. Uh, now, I, by the way, I hope this also means that uh, if your phone dies or is grabbed and stopped by the police, you know, during an interaction, that uh, <laughs> that it, it does the same thing. Considering recent events, including the death of George Floyd at the hands of officers, some say they'd use it. Sure, I would, because look what happens. I think it would be a good idea to keep track of the police and see how they handle their business, said Money Cannon. Uh, all right, random quotes from random people. California Highway Patrol says they understand people would use the program, but says if an officer asks you to put your phone down for a sobriety test or to get out of the car, you have to take heed even if you don't stop recording. Uh, so, now, so this is something I've dealt with personally, getting arrested while recording with a, with a cell phone. They, they've said, you know, and if you remember when I got arrested in New Orleans just uh, a couple years ago, uh, which, by the way, we have some legal progress still uh in the, to, to report on in the next couple of weeks as, as we get to the next phase with this now i'm i'm recording as i'm being arrested and then they say we're put, putting you in cuffs they didn't actually ask me to stop recording i told them i was live streaming and so maybe that at least had them you know a little sort of oh crap paying attention um they allowed me to give my phone to someone else and then ordered him to stop recording and they probably would have arrested him and you know he he pretended to stop recording i think is what happened i don't want to say for the sake of his legal liability but you know the cops can always uh can always do this and this actually gets to you know some of the national calls that we see for police reform today for uh you know standards of use of force and recording and, and, and things like that and i would say you, you know if we continue to up the standard of accountability. The next thing is anytime a cop interferes with citizen recording for accountability, you know, then they're just going to be, um, 
All right, now I'm distracted. Jim, can you go let the goat out? That's a fun Garden of Freedom interaction for Adam versus the man. Mm-hmm. I'll explain when Jim gets back. So if a police officer, you know, assumes that any phone could be recording him at any time or her, that's a great thing. That's a huge step up in the shift in the paradigm for, you know, police relations in, in America in general. Now, there's some other issues with this that police are going to use to, you know, tamp down. Uh, Sacramento civil rights attorney Jeff Kravitz says people have every right to record officers, but there are limitations. Officers are public people. You have every right to film them while they are carrying out official duties. Kravitz says the recording has to be in public. You can't secretly record in the police station with a hidden camera. And it's like, now this is funny. That would be an invasion of private property. Or excuse me, that would be an invasion of privacy. You couldn't film them on private property. That would be an invasion of privacy. But these apps are, it's my understanding, they are, uh, they work when you were being pulled over. And there's a sort of, you know, silly mainstream news quotations that need to be interpreted. So this is a civil rights attorney. He's on the right side of this. He's just reporting what the challenges are. Like, he's not saying that would be an invasion of privacy. He's saying, like, that's what government would consider it as. At least I hope that's what he's saying. Um, like, when you're in the police station, that's not private. You're in a government building paid for by taxpayer dollars that you stole from us. Screw you. I'm going to be able to record in there. And if you want to challenge, like, I hope someone challenges this. Like, you know, now there there are, like, is, is it in an, are you in, recording in an interrogation room? Maybe that's different. But if it's somewhere that you're allowed to be as an individual, you have the right to record there, just like you have the right to dance there. Um, so, again, positive news, goodnewsnetwork.org, Chattanooga Police updates policy to require officers to intervene in cases of brutality and report it. Now, this is awesome. And this sets up, uh, you know, a whole other potential fight. You know, we brought you the story of Officer Lane, who was involved in the George Floyd killing as one of the officers on the scene who uh, was part of manhandling George, getting him on the ground and was restraining his legs. And he actually told Officer Chauvin, his senior officer who was on his neck, hey, maybe you should roll him over. And he didn't, right? But what's he going to do, right? What's what, what's Lane going to do in that situation? He's like, hey, you're 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 kill- like, should I intervene? Yeah, but if I've already said, you know, I'm you, you don't, stop doing that, please. I, I I think you might you might be killing this guy. And my senior officer says, no, it's fine. Go back to protecting me from this crowd. And the law says. He's going to be in more trouble if he shoves his superior officer off of George Floyd than if he stands back and just does his job. And he is in the most, you know, like this is why you shouldn't be a cop. It's morally infeasible to to know that you're doing the right thing in a situation like that. You are deliberately subjecting yourself to incentivization to do the wrong thing. So this Chattanooga policy could really throw a wrench in that in the calculations of individual officers on the scene, but also in the general paradigm of law enforcement. Chattanooga, Tennessee's police chief has updated his department's code of conduct, saying his officers have a duty to intervene and to report it when others in the department commit acts of brutality 
or abuses of power. So this is a huge positive step in kind of police accountability to say, we're going to change the equation from, you know, every cop by virtue of not reporting stuff is just protecting the system to say like, no, now in order to be just an okay cop or just a go along, no, if you see, if you see corruption, if you see brutality, you are going to be liable for not doing something about it. You have to treat each other as cops under the law as you treat civilians. Chief David Roddy announced the changes Monday and also highlighted existing policy regarding how to deal with force, all in an effort to address the issue of improper conduct in police ranks. The duty to intervene has now been added and codified in the CPD policy. Quote, each department member has the individual responsibility to intervene and stop any other member from committing an unlawful or, unlawful or improper act, including but not limited to acts of brutality, abuses of process, abuses of authority, and any other criminal act or major violations of department rules and procedures. Successful intervention does not negate a duty to report. Wow! Wow! That's amazing. Compared to the opposite, which is the current paradigm for police, this is really strong language. Now, I am not overly optimistic about how this is going to be employed. And this is one department. Chattanooga, Tennessee does not dictate where the rest of America goes. But just that we're getting a test of this huge reform. In a major, is it major, significant American city, Chattanooga, Tennessee, could have major impact. Now, this depends on two other big things, which is why, you know, in order to have like the full effect of of what this language represents. One is department policy and and, and leadership, actually. I suppose this is the policy, department uh, leadership policy and enforcing this part of the policy. Right. And what the actual practice is and what police in this department uh, are, are going to be experiencing for this policy. There's going to be have to be a lot of like if you're a cop on the force in Chattanooga, you're going to have a lot of questions right now. There's going to be training going on like, hey, what about this situation? What about that situation? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, what? and then what it's going to come down to in the first line of response, again, is the leadership in that department. And the next thing is the legal enforcement. Are the relevant court systems going to uh, uphold this policy? Uh, and to what degree? Because you could go different ways with it, right? Like as, as an officer, uh, you know, would you say that, they, again, back to the case of Officer Lane in Minneapolis. Do you charge Lane under some good, like as he did his job, now, in a sense, is he aiding the, the murder kind of against his will? Because it's the officer who's his superior who's telling him, no, this is okay. And he doesn't know that he's going to die, right? It can't, it can't be a willful crime if he didn't know what was happening, right? Did Chauvin know that Floyd was going to die? Or did did Lane? No, certainly. I mean, Chauvin might have, and it might have been intentional on his part for all we know. But did Lane know? Mm-mm. And like even with Chauvin, I, you know, I hate to hate to be sympathetic to cops, but 
some kind of involuntary manslaughter might be more well maybe not in not involuntary um sorry no there's another word again i'm not trying to defend what he did but categorically it's uh was it reckless manslaughter negligent is it negligent manslaughter you know it, it's more that than deliberate you know now, now now maybe it is and there's some conspiracy theories going around that because chauvin and floyd worked at the same club briefly uh floyd is a as a bouncer and security guard and uh, Chauvin as the off-duty police officer outside, occasionally intervening. Could have been. Uh, but do I trust government courts to apply the principles of justice consistently as opposed to the principles of tyranny and punishment and control through the law? Of course not. So how much should Lane be culpable? I mean, that's a question that I couldn't even untangle. So good luck to whatever state, county, city courts are dealing with this in Chattanooga. But I hope you at least, as the Supreme Court would say, with all deliberate speed, start taking advantage of this new policy to actually hold officers accountable as accessories for not stopping overt criminality with other cops. Jim, I don't know. Are people as excited about this as I am, at least just as, you know, one of the possible reforms coming out of this? I think so. Yep. I've I've been, I'm kind of distracted because I've been going through writing down the uh, lesson. Yeah. Right. Oh, we have more. Should we stop? Should we? we All right. We'll come back to this again. How deadly. Is the coronavirus less deadly than you fill in the blank? And the best answer wins membership to the Producers Club today. From PressHerald.com, Trump administration won't say who got $511 billion in taxpayer-backed coronavirus loans. The administration backtracked on an earlier commitment to to release individual loan data. Now, this... This is the stuff we should be talking about instead of George Floyd. Not that that's not worthy of attention and not that I'm not excited about the all the positive police reforms coming out of this. But let me put this in the bigger narrative picture right away. Again, the real progress towards freedom and justice does not happen in times of upheaval, but quietly in the periods between. And so the progress is the understanding of police that we have made over the last decade or so. And in this time of crisis, we have a fabricated crisis. I mean, a lot of these police reforms were in the process of happening already. They're going through a period of acceleration because our attention is being uh, ginned up and focused on this problem of police power, police brutality, the police state in general, and the issue of institutionalized racism in the the law enforcement and legal system. So we are getting these positive things right now in police reforms and attention to this to placate this anger that was ginned up as a distraction from, as usual, the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. And here's one big measure of that. Federal officials responsible for spending $660 billion 
in taxpayer-backed small business assistance said Wednesday that they will not disclose amounts or recipients of subsidized loans backtracking on an earlier commitment to release individual loan data. Now, remember, they're calling these loans. They're not. They're not loans. They're grants. They're taxpayer grants. And it's good that, you know, some of them went to small businesses, supposedly. But no, there's no reason for this at all. Why why would the federal government borrow $6,000 in my name, give me $1,200 back, and then tell me they're going to bail a bunch of people out? Why don't let me keep all the money and let me decide who to bail out by who I decide to patronize with my business or donate to with that money? Because when government does it, who's going to get it? Friends of government, people who donate to congressional campaigns. That's why Congress, you know, get, every member of Congress has to be a conduit of money and power. They have to be able to bring pork back to their, their districts, at least. The Small Business Administration has previously released detailed loan information dating back to 1991 for the Federal 7A program, a long-standing small business loan program on which the larger paycheck protection program is based. The SBA initially intended to publish similar information for the new coronavirus loans. An SBA spokesman told the Washington Post in an April 16 email that the agency, quote, intends to post individual loan data in accordance with the information presently on the SBA.gov website after the loan process has been completed, and it made a similar commitment in response to an April 17 open records request. But the administration appeared to change course at a Wednesday hearing before the Senate Committee on Small Business and Entrepreneurship as Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin and SBA Administrator Ovita Carranza declined to discuss specific borrowers. Quote from Mnuchin, as it relates to the names and amounts of specific PPP loans, we believe that that's proprietary information, and in many cases, for sole proprietors and small businesses, that is confidential information. The reason why we're not disclosing the names and amounts, unlike in the 7A program, is because of that issue. Seven hells, what transparent bullshit nonsense is this? And they're doing it in the open. They couldn't even buy off all the members of Congress to stay quiet about this. Remember the news that we brought you a few weeks ago? It was like months ago now. Down the memory hole, how, oh yeah, big businesses, major corporations were getting a big chunk of these small business loans. Why why the need for secrecy? What is the excuse for secrecy? Oh, well, to protect private business information. No doesn't come close to passing the smell test. And again, as we see the government recklessly borrowing and printing and digitally creating and spending money, I think we are coming to a period of accelerated dollar collapse, or at least inflation and devaluation of the dollar. Whether we're going to get to an actual collapse, you know, something that the word collapse, people, well, the dollar's already collapsed. Look, it's collapsed 97% of its spending power. Okay, yeah, sure. Uh, I think of collapse as like actually not becoming a, or becoming a, a no longer functional currency. All right, that's how I use the word collapse, not just like a collapse of the value as we've seen over time. Are, are we coming to an actual point of collapse? I'm not comfortable calling that. But continued devaluation of the dollar, perhaps uh, a, a seriously accelerated devaluation of the dollar. I think that's unavoidable at this point. Uh, that you're going, and this is always on an economic lag, right? Well, you know, where uh, the money created 
takes, again, depending on the exact situation or the, the dynamic of the economy that you're evaluating, is going to take a few months before it starts affecting prices, right? They create the money, they make all these loans. And, and, and at first, you know, it goes to bailouts and people catching up and paying their bills. And, you know, then you, you have now this uh, reduction in goods and services being made available, being produced because of the forced unemployment crisis. So now you have more dollars in the market chasing less goods and services. And then you have price inflation as a result. And then government can print more money, but what does it do? It causes more of the same problem. That's where you get to the inflationary death spiral of the dollar. Are we going to get to that point? I don't know. Either way, get what money you can out of the system, invest it in whatever is tangible, real assets for you. Gold, silver, guns, ammo, crypto, Practical homesteading, valuable, durable goods, long-term food stores, water purification. You know, whatever it is that you know is going to have value. This is not just the survivalist element of this, but the economic survivalist element of this. You know, once you've got your survival needs covered, you still want to keep investing in ways that doesn't increase your exposure unnecessarily as we get to a period of increased devaluation of the dollar because the purchasing power of the dollar is going to go down over the next year. That, that, that's a pretty safe bet. I mean, it would take some really crazy shit for that to change. You know, so if you're getting, uh, you know, welfare, you're getting, you're, you're expecting $2,000 a month and you go, I can live off this. Yeah. Okay. Wait until that dollar, the family dollar, dollar general doesn't buy what it was buying. Yeah. Winter is coming. We got another super chat. What is it? A big green one. $5 follow-up from Brian Webb. Not grants. It's a bribe paid for by those fleeced in taxes. Oh, thank you, Brian Webb. Clap back right at me on my language. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Did I say they were grants? Yeah, well, I meant, I meant like, uh, yeah, bribes, bribe, no, so bribe is, uh, bribe is definitely a better term. Yeah, they're, they're sort of bribe, but no, bribe, I, mm, bribe is a better term than, than, than a grant, but like a bailout, um, is it a bribe or is it a kick? Like if you're, if you're, if you're one of these businesses that's really profiting, you know, off of the uh, the coronavirus stimulus payments, it's probably because you donated to bribe a congressman, right? That was the bribe. I don't think this is government bribing businesses. I think this is them collecting. What's a better term for this? This is their kickbacks, right? Uh, okay, another follow from Brian. As long as multiple nations are inflating, the U.S. will buy time. Before the dollar collapse, but it is soon. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, so that's a great point as to why I'm not comfortable calling this with more precision, right? And anybody who's telling you, oh, the dollar's going to collapse next year, next, they're, they're full of shit. They, you, they, these are things, you know, kind of beyond prediction because we, we've seen it so many times. Now, okay, maybe hypothetically we get to, yeah, you know, it's going to collapse now, but you don't know that. 
you really can't predict with certainty because there's so many other human elements. And as Brian Webb correctly points out, there are a lot of manipulations from people around the world, other governments with other fiat currencies. So, uh, <clears throat> you ready for some lessons? I, I don't know. We got some time. Uh, should we do a round of lessons? Just do one round now, and then we'll do another round at the end of the show. All right, what do you got for me, Jim? Coronavirus. Henry, the most recent one. Coronavirus is less deadly than traveling circus roller coasters, auto erotic <laughs> asphyxiation, and spoiling Marvel movies in the hood combined. <laughs> good one, good. One. I, I I want to separate those. Jim's got you got that one yeah, written down. We'll add it to yeah. our list. All right. Uh, coronavirus is less deadly than living on Ruby Ridge. Ooh, that was M M Zooter. Ah, uh, yeah, so Waco, Ruby Ridge, and I, I suppose, see, okay, there's a better version of this, less deadly than a no-knock raid. There you go. Right? Perfect. Is that a good, I, I, I hope they like that mod, because Ruby Ridge, again, it's a, it's a, it's a great reference. The little esoteric, most people don't know that. Most people won't know what Ruby Ridge, everybody knows what a no-knock raid is. And that's the thing, is like, we've, we've come to this point in the police state where, yeah, everybody knows. And everybody's dealt with cops. You know, you have to be really sheltered. I don't say everybody, but what, 90% of Americans have had hostile run-ins with police? I don't know. That's a good question. How would you, if you counted, how many Americans by percentage have had hostile encounters with police? Percentage-wise? Yeah. It's up there. I mean, and, and I would count a hostile encounter as um, even getting pulled over with anything happening other than, hey man, you're going a little fast, chill out, here's a warning. That that would be a non-hostile encounter. But if you get a ticket, or there's any verbal challenge or anything like that, it's a hostile encounter. If there's any fear of something else happening, that's a hostile encounter. You know? And and, and some people would say getting pulled over and getting that warning. Because you know, every time a cop pulls you over, what are those what do those lights represent? Do what I say or you will die. Yeah. It's a command. It's a command backed by the threat of death. Like, make no mistake. If you see lights behind you while you are driving and you don't pull over and you say, I don't recognize your authority, I'm going to peacefully go about my life. Kill you. Well, if you, if you just keep, or, or at least they'll physically subdue you. But if you resist that, they will kill you. It is, it is comply or die. Um, it, it is submit or die. That is every time an officer flashes those lights. Now, you know, it's funny. I, I want to say there's one exception here, even in my life. I'm kind of grateful for, although I'm not. Uh, you know, you know, Bullock Road coming out of that way, coming out, going out of Juniper Wood Ranch to the 89. Um, it's, it's like, it's a two lane road, wide open, 35 mile an hour speed limit. And you're like, yeah, it should be 35 on the turns and 50 on the straightaways. And that's what most people drive there, right? Yeah. So, um, I was driving out and Sheriff's Deputy coming the other way just flashed his lights at me for five seconds. Not, not even, two, two, or two or three seconds. Because he was like, you know, he, he saw me. He probably saw me a mile away as we got to 
three quarters. He was like, yeah, he's going a little fast. Flipped his lights on for just two or three seconds and turned them off. And I waved to be like, yeah, all right. Thanks for only being a bit of a dick. Mm-hmm. But no, you know, and, and if I, I don't like compared to what he could have done. That's he's being a nice guy. And I, I'm, I'm actually very, like I said, I'm grateful in a sense that, that that's, that's how he chose to deal with the situation. Um, but he could have, you know, if he was doing the right thing, he'd get the speed limit change there to be more reasonable. But no. Um, instead, he's going to be like, and he, he, I wasn't driving on, it wasn't like I was driving unsafely fast. And you know what? I would, here's a situation where like I would support a cop doing that, like proactively support a cop flashing lights at someone. If you see someone driving distracted or swerving, and you, you can flash your lights at them, get their attention, turn them off. Wave, hey man, you cool? If they if they and they start driving normal again, yeah, then cool. That's a good use of that. But when it's to me, because I'm driving how everybody drives fast on a road with speed limits too low, mm, I'd rather you didn't. I would have still waved, you know, because the sheriff deputies out here are, you know, way about as like hey. I'll say this about the sheriff's deputies in Juniper Wood and, and, and most of rural Yavapai County. You all are as close to good cops as it gets in America, right? In terms of serving your community and not enforcing victimless crime laws. Well, good for you. And in that, you know, I, I, I will, uh, well, let's put it like this. I think it was, I think it was Dan Cummins again, a comedian who was like, you know, America's, America's the, America is probably the best country on earth. Best place. Now, we're not great. And being best doesn't make you great, right? I mean, if you're the family, if you're in a family where, you know, all of the husbands beat their wives and you beat your wife the least, you're still the best husband. That doesn't make you a great husband. You know, that's a, that's a oh, yeah, perfect analogy. I'm like cutting out down my own compliment here, right? No, but I do, I do want to respect that uh, in this analogy, there are a lot of rural Sheriff's deputies and cops, and especially in Arizona, who uh, beat their wives the least. And in some cases, not at all. And in some cases, only reluctantly when they have to, as incentivized and encouraged by the system, do they ever enforce anything in line with victimless crime laws or even uh, imagine that they're going to flash your your threat lights at someone for speeding on a rural road. All right, sir, do we have a couple more less tens before I go on any long tangents there? I hope that was a worthwhile one. Yeah, uh, J.U., <laughs> Said uh, coronavirus is less deadly than fake Kevlar. Less deadly than fake and Kevlar. And modified it and said less deadly than body armor from Wish. Ah, uh, 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 it's not deadly. It's just not protective. I, I don't think it holds the, the analogy. Coronavirus is less deadly than Flint drinking water. Yes. Yes. Oh. Mm. Yeah. That was end statism also. Yeah. Oh. That's a good one. Anything else in that category people could think of, maybe? We're going to come back to these at the end of the show. Stick around. Excuse me. At the very end, we'll do another round of these. We'll go over these ones, and I'll pick a winner. Or perhaps multiple winners. Maybe if you – I don't Jim, what's your favorite so far? Uh, well, that's a tough one. That's a pretty good one, the Flint Water. Cause it's very yeah, good. yeah. Uh, I like CJ's, too, though. Can we can we rephrase it? To, what was, which one was CJ's? Uh, CJ, bring yours up. Yeah. 
Didn't uh, you have it in the list that I wrote down? So, so mine was... Oh, from like, yesterday. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yesterday, yeah. Mine, mine was from yesterday less deadly than trying to spend a, a counterfeit $20 bill in Minneapolis. Yeah. 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 That's, that is like, that is one of the ultimate ones. Okay. But what was the the last one here? Uh, drinking the water in Flint, Michigan. That's definitely, I think the the leader today. Yeah. Um, we'll come back. I'll reconsider. I'm I'll go, I'll go over the list again at the end of the show, but, uh, hmm. yeah, less deadly than drinking the water in Flint, Michigan. That's all you need to say. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So back to the headlines. I got a couple I'm going to skip here. I had some in-depth stuff that is getting pushed out by all the fun that we're having today. But there is definitely one in-depth segment that we really couldn't skip today. And this is, of course, we have to do an update on Seattle's Chaz, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. And we've got a few stories I want to get to about this today. First, MyNorthwest.com, a look inside Seattle's newly formed Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. On Monday, Seattle Mayor Jenny Durkin announced that police at the city's east precinct would be leaving the area and reopening streets that had been blocked off for almost two weeks. It didn't take long before what's become known as the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone began to take shape. Barriers originally set up by police have been repurposed to set up the borders of the zone. What used to be the Seattle Police Department on the corner of 12th and Pine now reads Seattle People Department. KIRO Radio's Hannah Scott and Nicole Jennings spent time in the Chaz Tuesday watching for hours as 100 or so people began setting up tents, putting up signs, and preparing a set of camp as part of their ongoing protest against police brutality. As she reported, it was really... It was a really energetic day, really a whole different vibe than I'd seen the other nights I've been here. A very peaceful experience, almost like a street fair, honestly. And that's re- this is so beautiful. Now, I- I'll tell you, I'm not really optimistic. Man, I- why am I saying that again? For the long-term uh, success of Chaz as truly being a kind of sovereign, autonomous community. There are signs outside that say, you are leaving the USA and this is great. This is great. Now, I I didn't realize the the the, the best uh, analogy that we have for this is not micronation, because like, I'm really tempted, Jim. Remember when we started covering this story? I'm like, yes, we have a new country, a new micronation, the Chaz, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, claiming sovereignty, claiming to not be part of the USA. But I don't think, or, you know, right away I saw like. They don't really have solid ground to stand on. They don't really have the footing to do that. So this is more like the Occupy Wall Street protest, except that it didn't start, except in process, it's kind of backwards, right? Where they're not saying, oh, we're going to go occupy and claim this park, and that's the purpose of this, and we're going to protest wealth inequality and everything that, that Wall Street represents, right? Um, this was, we were protesting, we're confronting police, we chased the police off. Hey, cool, we can claim this protest zone for ourselves. And that seems kind of what this is. It's more like a protest zone. It's like a free protest zone, no cops. It's great. And 
is there a community there? And this is this is why I'm going to be watching this so closely and, and, and continuing to bring y'all updates is to see, will the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone pro, uh, transition from being more like an occupied protest to being an actual micronation of some sort or a meaningful autonomous zone that is that is not part of the USA in a legal way. In a sense, they've already done it. Like, let's show mad respect for what they have accomplished in a way that Occupy never did, right? With the, all of the Occupy encampments, you had police just, you know, walking through day or night, like no big deal. Like it wasn't, yeah, we're in the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, they have really effectively said, yeah, no police here. This is a, a community law enforcement, not government law enforcement zone. That in and of itself is huge in assertion of sovereignty away from centralized governments. And I cannot applaud them enough for having achieved that. And I know a lot of people are going, Adam, you're defending communists. When they do the right thing, uh, yeah. When they're pulling in our direction on the side of freedom, yeah. When they're showing people, hey, look, you don't have to be part of the centralized government anymore. You can opt out and be free and sovereign and autonomous. Yeah, damn right. I'm going to support and defend and promote what they're doing, regardless of whether they are their ideology is just like mine. And for those voices who want to take that criticism, you are playing right into the hands of divide and conquer, away from bottom unity, away from people's unity against the existing power structures. If we don't hang together, surely we will continue to hang separately. Nicole also described free food and medical aid available for demonstrators on every corner. Some food and supplies were also distributed to the homeless population in the surrounding area. The group even reportedly organized its own garbage collection Wednesday morning. So there's some controversy about who's included in this, but it's obvious that a lot of the efforts are coming in from external sources, people who aren't necessarily living there, but consider themselves part of that community. I think there are going to be a lot of people setting up, moving in. There are going to be a lot of people bringing resources in who want to see the autonomous zone succeed. And honestly, if I was in Seattle, that's what I would be doing. You know, if I if I was a resident of the area and I had extra supplies that they needed, I would go and support them materially in doing this. More so than anything else that can, has come out of Black Lives Matter, this is 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 absolutely righteous and, and worthy of material support. Just like I would say, you know, more so than the protests, people doing meaningful police reform work deserve direct support. And so there was an incident, we saw a video earlier today, where a couple of police went to the third precinct office to get things out of it. And one of the things that's cool about this is they did it without burning down any building. You know, they didn't have to destroy the third precinct building. It's still there. They could repurpose it. It just, they just spray painted all over it, you know, like graffiti. And they've crossed out police and replaced it with people. So it's the Seattle People Department. Love it. You know, so already a more peaceful alternative to getting the police out of your community and asserting sovereignty. Amazing. Later on in the night, a projector screen was set up as the crowd gathered to watch Ava DuVernay's documentary on systemic racism in the U.S. prison system, 13. News of that reached DuVernay herself, who gave the group a shout out on Twitter. The crowd stationed at 12th and Pine is trying to prove it can operate on its own without the police no longer occupying the East Precinct. Their position is they can take care of themselves. 
The group also recently published a lengthy 30-point list of demands for Seattle City Council and the mayor's office. Some go far beyond what council members like Teresa Mosqueda and Shama Sawant have proposed in recent days, including a call to abolish the Seattle Police Department and the attached criminal justice apparatus. So this reminds me of the more comical, and, and I, I hope, and I, the, 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 like one of the things I, I, I'll say uh, I'd like to see improve with Chaz is uh, let's bring some more comedy into it. You know, it's got to be lighthearted and fun and positive. Uh, you know, to, to maintain that attitude of non-confrontation and de-escalation with authorities. It's like that John Lennon quote, you know, they will flick your nose and pull your beard, anything to get you angry and fighting, because that they can deal with. The one thing that they don't know how to fight back against is love and humor. And so I'm thinking of, you know, the uh, the, the, the Conf Republic, the Florida Keys, and my friend Stephen Akela, who's such a, a great booster of this tongue-in-cheek sovereign status of a nation that said we are sovereign because the Border Patrol set up a checkpoint on the one causeway out to the Florida Keys. They got the policy changed, they took the checkpoint down, and they rejoined the United States. So I see kind of that here with this list of demands, right? If the city, uh, you know, concedes to a major portion of the list of demands, then a lot of the raison d'etre for Chaz goes away. And a lot of the momentum goes away. And then the question is, is there a sustainable community in this exact geographic area that that, that gives this uh, longevity beyond this immediate list of demands? Or do they all go, oh, our demands are met. We moved here because we love Seattle. We still love Seattle. Now that Seattle's better, oh, we'll, we'll go back to being a part of Seattle in the USA, right? So there's, there's a really cool dynamic with that too of using this as leverage to reform policy and say, we're going to, like, we're going to, we're going to establish our independence until you change these things at least. You know, and well, maybe you're not going to fully recognize our independence, but we're going to push. We're going to make it hard for you. If you're going to do these things. We're going to make it hard for you to keep us as part of your city. <clears throat> now to the next story from the Washington Times. A little bit more of a negative view on Chaz. Seattle's autonomous zone is Mad Max movie mayhem. Come alive. And this is analysis opinion, analysis slash opinion from Cheryl K. Chumley. In the late 1970s, a series of action movies starring Mel Gibson as Mad Max showed what life in Australia would be like when the inmates, so to speak, take over the asylum and societal standards of behavior utterly collapse and motorcycle gang members with zero moral bearing unleash their violence onto the public. That's scenes from Seattle circa 2020. All right, before we get into this fear mongering, we're going to interrupt for, I hope this is a relevant super chat. Yeah. Ooh, gangster talk weighing in for $4.99. Tucker Carlson was bad mouthing Chaz on Fox news. Any comments? Uh, Tucker, Fox News, controlled opposition, propaganda outlet. Do I really care to respond to that in particular? No, of course he's going to. And, you know, I mean, I, you could say I'm bad-mouthing them because I'm saying I disagree with this or that of what they're doing. But, like, no, I'm celebrating this and, and promoting this. And I think if, if uh, you know, Tucker uh, isn't a redcoat loyalist, then he would be taking the same attitude to everybody who is fighting for freedom in this realm of asserting sovereignty like this, because that's how this country got here. So to say that Tucker Carlson is the modern equivalent of a media lapdog pro-establishment loyalist, I think that's 
gently summing it up, and I don't need to say anything more than that. That's how Seattle seems right now with protesters take over City Hall, expelling police from the area and establishing a six-block section of the community as an autonomous zone, meaning free of law and order. No, free of the chaos of the police. This is an increase in law and order when it comes to the natural law, the law that means ethics. What the freak America, it's a mad, mad, mad max world out there actually in here within the boundaries of what used to be a nation run by law and order, a constitution and structured government. No, we've never had that. At times we've had peaceful periods of exploitation and ripoff, and we've had times of upheaval where the government got out of control or the people have tried to stand up to that. But no, with this whole time, a nation run by law and order? No, under the Articles of Confederation, the constitution that we are under today was illegal, is illegal. So we have had a lawless nation since 1789 with the ratification of our current constitution, what this person claims is a constitution structured government, structured to rip you off. What kind of enthusiastic slave are you? The rabbit foxes are within the hen house. No, that's what it's been this entire time. We're starting to see that finally change. As uh, the Daily Mail reported, she quotes here, reports emerge that appear Raz Simone has established himself as a warlord within Chaz. The guy with the sane response, President Donald Trump, is the guy who's been characterized as off his rocker. It hasn't been clear for years that Donald Trump is off his rocker? This is not a game, Trump said after protesters established a perimeter and booted out police demanding the end of racial injustice and the demands of dismantling of law enforcement departments. Damn right it's not a game. You are killing people with the government. Stop it. He labeled the protesters domestic terrorists, and they are. Really? Now, this this gets to Black Lives Matter and the general attitude of the white Karens of America. And to all the Karens out there, get some freaking perspective. You should be relieved with the amount of restraint that black Americans have shown over the last 200 years. You should be grateful that they want equality, not revenge. You want to look at the body counts? You want to put the evils that we're talking about on any kind of measurable scale? No. The U.S. government is the terrorist here. Take back your city now, Trump tweeted to Governor Jay Inslee and to Seattle Mayor Jenny Durkin. If you don't do it, I will. This is not a game. These ugly anarchists must be stopped immediately. Move fast. Only Trump spelled stopped as stooped by mistake. Mm -hmm. So how did Durkin and Inslee respond with mocking and derision? A man who's totally incapable of governing should stay out of Washington State's business. Stoop tweeting. I love it. That was the response from Inslee. And from Durkin, this tweet, make us all safe. Go back to your bunker. But if any time called for tough, aggressive policy or even military crackdown to quell the violence on America's streets, this is it. These are not poor, misguided youth exercising their First Amendment rights. These are criminals, violent criminals, intimidating law, abiding innocent citizens with their criminal behavior and threats. 
No, that's what police do. Police are criminals. They are violent criminals. They intimidate law-abiding innocent citizens with their criminal behavior and threats. That's what government is. Citizens can't take over city streets and demand identification of anyone who seeks to enter. That's that's from the Karen writing this story. You colonists, you can't just declare your independence from the king. You must be part of the British Empire. How dare you? Clutch his pearls. Protesters, no matter how angry, no matter the cause, can't gate off whole blocks of streets and patrol to keep out police. Uh, they just did. Hello? Social justice activists can't corral off roads and sections of cities, keeping businesses within their established borders from conducting business, preventing residents captured within their declared autonomous zone from coming and going as pleasing and safety just because they have a list of demands. Uh, well, actually, they can, but it's not because they have a list of demands. It's because they're willing to back them up and put their bodies on the line to do this. As the Daily Mail reported, armed men are seen manning checkpoints and controlling entry to the chat. Police say they have received complaints that protesters, protesters are demanding cash to enter the zone and shaking down businesses inside the zone for protection money. And then in the in the column here, this is so funny. This is America? Question mark. This isn't America. Uh, hello? Trump's trade war with China? Hello? Every tariff that this country has ever enforced? Hello? Shaking down businesses inside the zone for protection money? You've heard of taxes, right, Karen? What What else is that? Your business getting shaken down by government for protection money. And what's worse is that they won't even let you go to a different provider of protection services. This is the new empire, the new red coat saying you must be part of this centralized system. Now, The summary of this here is a photographed sign on one of the barricades. The protesters said around their perimeter read, you are now leaving the USA. Sadly, horribly, that's just not true. And in this sense, Karen, sadly, you're right. Because the government of the United States will not respect this. Going ahead to ComoNews.com, swift action recommended by police experts to take East Precinct back from Chaz. Some are calling for swift action to take back the East Precinct that has been surrounded by protesters in the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone or Chaz, the Seattle police states affecting the way police deal with public safety in the entire city. As Fuda, Jim Fuda, 33-year-old law enforcement ex expert and director of law enforcement services for Crime Stoppers, which works with Seattle Police Department, said the department needs to take back the precinct sooner rather than later with negotiations and more. Quote, they're going to have to be dealt with. It can't continue like that. Some action is going to have to be taken. Is there federal laws broken? Does the FBI need to come in? But at some point, arrests and these people are going to have to be removed if they don't move. You know, I don't know where this is going, but if it comes to it, I might go stand in the way myself there. If they want to say that these are these people are criminals because they violated the same federal laws that would make the founders of this country criminals, oh yeah, I'll stand with them. I don't think this is going to last very long, however.
from King5.com, Trump threatens to take back the city if Seattle state officials don't. President Donald Trump told Governor Jay Inslee and Seattle Mayor Jenny Durkin that they need to take back the city from protesters. On Monday, a Wednesday night, Trump tweeted to Governor Jay Inslee and Seattle Mayor Jenny Durkin telling them, take back your city now. If you don't do it, I will. Now, this wouldn't be such a scary threat if we weren't already in the coronaphobia lockdown state of martial law with National Guard troops on the streets of America's cities. But that's where we are. And that's what makes this especially scary. The redcoats are coming. The redcoats are coming. But they are not wearing red coats. They are wearing SWAT uniforms and suits. And worse yet, some of them look just like the rest of you in the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. And I would bet money that right now there is a government agent dressed in black, wearing sunglasses and a bandana over his face in the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. A foreign agent, a spy, in violation now of international law himself, perhaps. The redcoats are coming. I don't think that this is the place to stand our ground. But this might be the scene of the Boston Massacre of this revolution. George Floyd, perhaps, from a city far from Seattle, from Minneapolis, the Christmas Attics of our day, the rallying cry for the final American revolution of peaceful localization of declaring your community as big as small, as big or small as you like, an autonomous zone. So thank you to those of you to the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone for showing the world what is possible in standing up to tyranny. Skipping ahead, we've got a couple more stories before we get back to comments and our less deadly than contest in a few minutes. From Yahoo via AFP, Egypt's female TikTok influencers in the state's crosshairs. Yes, digital censorship is a global phenomenon. Young Egyptian women with thousands of followers each on the popular TikTok app have become the latest target of state authorities who accuse them of spreading immorality in society. Since President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi came to power in 2014, hundreds of journalists, activists, lawyers, and intellectuals have been arrested and many websites blocked in the name of state security. But in recent months, a popular group of female social media influencers has also drawn the ire of government and several have been arrested in a crackdown cheered by many in the deeply conservative country. Now again, we change the global paradigm of government to localization and this is no longer a problem you don't have a conservative population assuming 
that they can force their will on other people just because they happen to fall within a government's boundaries. Now, if those boundaries can change, that's the real important change because then we work within the existing paradigm. Again, all we have to do is change the one part of making it about localization rather than centralization. People in conservative Egypt aren't demanding that their government censor America's TikTok frat house boys in LA and say, hey, you need, they're spreading immorality in America. No, hey, fine, cut yourself off. Have your own little community. You want to stop the spread of immorality in your little community? Great, you can have that. Next, we go to businessinsider.com. I'm going to make this quick because this is just funny as a little counterpoint. Uh, as like the, this, <clears throat> like, you know, I, we rail as libertarians, we rail against statism. In a way, we should be railing against, I don't know, urbanism, something like that. The, the presumption here from Business Insider, the title of the story is, we found the 30 best cities to live in in America after the pandemic ends. Does nobody else see the problem with this head, like, already? I don't have to say, Jim's, Jim's here giggling, like, <laughs> I know where you're going with this, Adam. And I think most of my audience is like, Hey, you know, after cities all over the world turn into shitholes, we're going to give you the 30 best shitholes you could live in. How about you not live in a shithole? Get out of the city. Really? So we found the 30 best cities to live. Gee. Like the, yeah, Jim is like, yeah, yep, yep. <laughs> exactly. Some people might be considering moving to a new part of the country after the coronavirus pandemic. Awesome. Right? right? Great. We're developing becoming more conscious and this is living more conscientiously and and by that i mean looking at our lives reconsidering things from the ground up where do i live where do i work who do i live with what do i do for a living all of these things you know what where do i get my food my my medical care whatever it is you know that you're rebuilding your life from the ground up that's a huge increase in conscientiousness it's a big part of the mission here with the Garden of Freedom. Um, and so we use nine different metrics for over 380 U.S. metro areas to calculate an overall score that we used to find the best cities to move to after the pandemic. Some of the 30 best cities to move to are located in Illinois, Iowa, and Wisconsin. You know, and I'm just like, I think I don't need to read this article because of the next article, which I've been meaning to get to for a while, endoftheamericandream.com, as U.S. cities crumble Demand for rural and suburban properties is soaring. Have the events of 2020 caused you to consider moving somewhere else? If so, you are definitely not alone. The COVID-19 pandemic, a historic economic downturn and extremely violent riots in major cities all across America are fueling a sudden surge in interest in rural and suburban properties. This represents a major shift because prior to 2020, we had seen a tremendous boom in real estate prices in large cities such as New York, San Francisco, and Seattle. Now, a lot of those buyers have become very motivated sellers, but there just isn't a lot of demand for tremendously overpriced homes in core urban areas that are currently being torn to pieces by riders. Meanwhile, prices for rural and suburban homes are being pushed up as an increasing number of Americans seek to get away from the major cities. I guess this is just a quick I told you so today. I can say I told right, Jim? 
Oh, yeah. I can say I told you so on this one. If you're not getting I mean, tired of saying it. Yeah, I, I kind of am. Mm. Yeah, but right now, yeah, so like this. I, I mean, I was saying, I was saying it like you know about a month or two ago. So I'm like, you know, this is when we started looking at the real estate and we started covering like because there were, uh, what was it, three weeks ago I think we covered the commercial real estate collapse that's happening right now because a lot of businesses as renters uh, are just not not paying rent anymore. You know, if you're if you're a restaurant, you're renting, leasing your space. Well, and now you're the owner of that space going. Uh, anybody want to start a restaurant business right now? <laughs> like, no. So there's a huge cratering. We we cover this in Florida, where it, it seemed most pronounced um, on on the east coast of Florida, specifically in in some of the more dense commercial corridors, where you were seeing for sale signs just all over the place for commercial real estate. And I think it, it, at least at that, I can say at least three weeks ago, I was going like, yeah. Yeah, no shit. You're going to see city, like real estate in urban areas and cities plummet. And you're going to see real estate prices in rural areas go up. Now, I did have sort of one caveat to this, that those are relative prices, right? Relatively speaking, urban prices are going to go down or or, uh, rural is going to go up. But I, I would point out that rural could go down, too. I'm not suggesting that this is a good time uh, necessarily right now to buy. I'm not trying to call the bottom of the rural real estate market um, or, or you know, like I, 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 like I said, because it could be that people being desperate for cash across the board is going to cause a huge reduction in real estate purchases. There's going to be another just across the board, rural, urban, everything, housing recession or d- depression of prices, whatever, you know, where people, economists have different technical terms for these things. I don't care to use them. I try to talk in, in layman's terms that make sense to me. But we are going to see a continued period of lowering real estate prices in the housing market just because of the forced unemployment crisis. It's one of those ripples. And this is why, again, 10 years potentially just to come out of the unemployment crisis because of these ripple effects. How many people were planning on buying a $200,000 home who are now looking in the $120,000 range and going more rural? Ripple effects from that are going to be with us for years. So we got another super chat and you have in today's show just 13 minutes and 11 more seconds to get in on this one-time special offer to join the Adam vs. the Man Producer Club, which is you get to be in the Producer Club Telegram. Do we change the name, Jim? It's the produ- the Adam vs. the Man Producer Club group. No, we just, actually, the chat Telegram group, we just call it the Adam vs. the Man Producer Club. That's it. It's that Telegram chat. And that includes backstage access. Because every morning, and that's how that's how I get it. Like you get to walk into the studio through the same digital door that I do. CJ, our awesome producer in South Dakota, puts the link to StreamYard in there, and that's how I connect with the show. So I get that link from StreamYard, and I plug in here. And uh, you guys are in the same backstage area as I am to be called up. And I guess 
I'm going to have to skim the rest of my headlines and see. Do we have any callers? Do we, did CJ? Uh, see if you, you, hold you, on, hold on. Let me get to the super chat. Let me get this. Let me wrap this up. So anybody today who chips in. So anyway, uh, Patreon. Got to explain from Patreon first. We have good, better, and best patrons. Our good patrons give us $5 a month for exclusive access to behind-the-scenes footage. Our better patrons, for $10 a month, get to join the producer club and be in that Telegram chat and join us backstage every day. And then the best patrons for $50 a month get to connect with me however you want social media. I will be your friend. I will even follow you on Twitter. And we can have a lot of fun with that. But you are first in line in the producer club. It's like you get, oh, co-producer status. That's what it is. For $50 a month, you get co-producer status. But just for today, and really, I feel like a, I feel like a televangelist, commercial, mm-hmm. whatever guy. Um Special limited time offer for the next 11 minutes and 16 seconds. You can get, without joining Patreon, you can get membership in the Producer Club for $19.99 or more. I didn't come up with that number. Y'all did. By accident, I guess. And for $50 or more, like our friend Kim Wood and Brian, friends, Kim Wood and Brian Webb, uh, you can become a co-producer today for a one-time payment of $50. So, we got another super chat here from End Statism. Does that does that put End Statism at forty dollars for the day? End Statism, you could get that co-producer. I'm like upselling shamelessly hard here. All right, End Statism, thank you so much for the super chat. A world without government isn't a guarantee of a world with no violence. A world with government violence is guaranteed. Yes, great libertarian talking point. Great meme. Um, and, and really more for, from the anarchist perspective, the libertarian anarchist perspective, of course, we say, uh, you know, a world without government isn't a guarantee of a world with no violence, but a world with government is a world in which violence is guaranteed because government is violent. And I, I want to put this, you know, I did an interview, was it with Bebo for the Disavowed podcast day before yesterday when this came up. And you know, this is this is the sort of intellectual check to when someone says, well, if you get rid of government, gonna, well, no, yeah, you, you haven't solved all the problems of violence. Somebody could still get drunk at a bar and be violent. You go, well, yeah, it doesn't, excuse me, it doesn't really solve all the problems, of course. Um, but in a way, that's kind of giving ground. Like, why seed this? No, look, if you got rid of government, you wouldn't get rid of all of the violence in the world. Only about 99 plus percent. Let me explain. Look at the world today. Of all the coercion and violence and immoral things done, 90% of it is done in the name of government. War, the police state, taxation, economic exploitation, forced shutdowns, forced unemployment, the terrorism of, of police brutality, all of these things done in the name of the state. So you get rid of government, you get rid of 90% of the violence. Now, is government preventing any violence? You have to kind of add that in, right? Really, are they? I don't know. I, I think when seconds count, if I recall, the police are just minutes away. Do they actually prevent any violence, even as a deterrent? Not meaningfully, no. So then you get rid of 90% of the violence. Of the 10% that's left, 90% of that is indirectly caused by government. War on drugs, war on poverty. You get rid of that, now you're out of 1%. Crimes of violence, crimes of incentive. Market and private security mechanisms will provide better mechanisms of, as a disincentivizing crime than government because what government does by socializing 
justice services, if you want to call them that, is make them less accessible for poor people. If you can't afford a lawyer, you can't hold a thief accountable. If you don't have the luxury and the time to put into the legal system to making it work for you, it's not going to. It's going to work to keep the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. So by getting government out of it, we democratize or rather decentralize and make more available to the people real justice services. And therefore, like in a case like mine, where I was the victim of, uh, you know, petty theft of $6,000 of the motorcycle in, in college, instead of, you know, me being victimized again by the state in order to serve justice, I could actually get my stuff back. I could get the property damages covered instead of just getting screwed over and over and over again by government. So, yeah, getting rid of government means effectively getting rid of nearly all of the violence in the world when you go to the next levels of how this plays out. It's not just, hey, we get rid of government and everything stays the same. When you get rid of government, where do the what happens to the drug cartels? They stop existing because there's no drug war. What happens to, you know, the guy who gets away with petty crimes because the worst that happens if he gets caught for one is is probation or a little jail time and getting put back out on the street and never held accountable for real damages. Well, gee, that opportunity disappears. Yeah. I love the talking point as this ultimate backstop of, well, what about that remaining 0.0111% of the violence, oh, 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 whatever, 1% of the violence that's left after you get rid of government and people and communities in the market are able to form better mechanisms? Oh, yeah, we didn't solve that problem. <laughs> How dare you defend the status quo in light of this perspective? No, we can't get rid of 99% of the violence because you haven't told me how that's going to address the other 1%. Well, we can tell you how it's going to address the other 1% better, even if it's not going to eradicate it. All righty. Do I have any other? I have all my happiness headlines that we don't have time for today. The other two headlines I got in the pile that I wanted to get to were Pentagon documents reveal the U.S. has planned for a Bitcoin rebellion. I definitely don't want to shortchange that story. And then Zuckerberg's neutrality sparks an internal Facebook rebellion. You know, maybe we'll have some more Facebook stories. We'll roll into a big segment next week. I got all this happiness stuff. I got I got to get to the happiness. But there's one thing that I do want to cover in my happiness conglomerate segment, if you will. From timesofsandiego.com, this is urgent. San Diego blood bank calls for donations as supply runs critically low. Uh, I was just reminded on my calendar that I need to make another appointment to give blood. I do the double power red through by talent every three months. I think this is off four months. This is as often as they will let you do that one. Um, but, uh, I've always been an advocate of giving blood as often as you can. I think it's a beautiful, powerful thing that you can do to help save a life by giving a part of your body in a way that costs you nothing more than a little physical effort and a few extra calories to, to replenish that blood supply in an insignificant amount of time compared to the amount of time that is going to go into handling, managing, and delivering that pint of blood or, platelets or in my case red blood cells whatever else you're donating to help save a life so please go out if you can this is a really critical time i said this on my birthday february 1st this is what i said to my audience was uh don't get me anything for my birthday 
other than sharing this video, calling for people to donate blood and go donate blood yourself. And if you do, you know, I'll send you a free signed book. And, you know, we did that. But now, uh, predictably, uh, things are things are worse. And as hospitals are getting back to elective surgeries, as people are getting out and being more active and more injuries and, and, and traumatic incidents are occurring, the need for blood is going up and the squeamishness of people about giving blood during coronaphobia, uh, unfortunately, has not gone away in, in, in such a way to allow the blood supply to catch up. So blood is critically low. And that's all I've got for headlines today. CJ, I know you got a lot of those pulled up. But let's see, we got a few minutes left. I guess we can we can go over time as long as we got callers. Is there anybody? Oh, oh my gosh, CJ, I thought we were supposed to do that at 11. I, I, I totally spaced it. I thought you would have interrupted at 11. Let's get your brother on here. We're going to talk about ISPs, and then we're going to take as many other callers as we have from uh, from the backstage as y'all want to talk. It's Friday. I got uh, I got nowhere else to No, that's not true. I have an interview tonight. I'm going to be joining the Libertarian Party of Iowa. Uh, look for that on social media. So, CJ, before you bring your brother-in-law on here, would you like to introduce him? Yeah, so uh, as you know, we've been starting this. We've been having some Internet issues, clearly, and trying to figure out data and all this stuff that, you know, goes into producing this show for everybody. And so I talked to, like, just the same way you're like, CJ set this up. CJ's done this. This is the guy that I go to when I'm like, Nathan, I have no idea what I'm doing. What do I do? And and I constantly am asking him questions and 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 seeing what he has to say on this subject. So uh, I figured that uh, given that we've all been through in the month, that it'd be a great way for us to uh, have a conversation about internet service providers real quick. We have a video real quick just to preface what it is for everybody. Uh, so for those that don't know, and what throttling is. So if you don't mind, sir, I'll roll tape. Do it. Instead of surfing the internet, does it seem like sometimes you're just crawling the internet? Is it possible that your internet service provider is I'm Kristen Malia for Broadband Now, the most comprehensive resource for internet plans, pricing, and coverage. My mom taught me sharing is caring, but when it comes to the internet, sharing sucks. You see, the signal your internet service provider, or ISP, sends to your devices is shared with many other people simultaneously. Sometimes your ISP will limit or throttle your usage to certain speeds to free up bandwidth for other users. It's like going to an all-you-can-eat restaurant, but they replace your silverware with a 200-pound spork. Here's the good news. Odds are you aren't being throttled. Although the practice is frequent on mobile and wireless services, it's not very common with cable, DSL, or fiber. Internet service providers typically only throttle heavy Internet users. You may have met your data limit. So during busy times, your signal slows down so people under their limit can still surf quickly. But since they won't even tell you that it's happening, how can you know if you're being throttled? When you think your ISP is slowing down, visit broadbandnow.com slash speed test to measure your internet speeds. 
Believe it or not, most ISPs can detect speed tests and artificially inflate your speeds to make it appear that they're not throttling you. But you can play that game. You need to download and activate a virtual private network, or VPN. Among their many advantages, VPNs hide from your ISP that you're running a speed test. So running the test a second time may yield different results. If your speeds are significantly lower from before you activated the VPN, you may be throttled. So to tell if your internet is being throttled, run an internet speed test. Download and activate a reputable virtual private network. You'll find many choices on the internet. Run another speed test to see if you get a different result. If the second test is significantly slower, you could be a throttling victim. You may want to explore other internet service providers, even if you don't know the difference between a VPN and DSL or an ISP and a BLT. To see all your broadband options, type in your zip code at Broadband Now, which helps millions of consumers each year find and compare local internet service providers. Whoa, that was revelatory. CJ, like, you know, out here, we're just dealing with Verizon and AT&T. We haven't even gotten to that level yet. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how that relates to this. But I've experienced this. You know, when I was doing Adam versus the man in L.A., we ended up paying $500 a month for some exclusive business service just to have it reliable 24-7 because every other ISP, and it was Time Warner, uh, that it, and it's this, it's this whole telecom oligopoly bullshit in America that, you know, puts them in a position to screw over customers. As I was watching that video, there, there were two things that jumped out at me. One, the hiding of the throttling, the hiding of just throttling, the, yeah. just the dishonesty of that. Like, it's not surprising compared to, you know, all the other crap that, that we get from the major telecoms, but that, that you have to like trick them to learn what they're actually giving you. Now, I use a VPN anyway. I use NordVPN. I, I, you know, I can generally, uh, I should, I think they have an affiliate program. Well, we should I got, see if they'll I, pay me. To- I got, I got, how about this, sir? Uh, allow me to introduce our guest yeah, and, and he can hear you. Yeah. So again, uh, ladies it. and gentlemen, uh, my, my brother-in-law here, Nathan Jones, I will get him on just a second, sir. Hello, Nathan. How's it going? Outstanding. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Good. How are you yourself? Well, I'm just, I'm a little flabbergasted. You know, I, I, I really, I'm kind of embarrassed. I should, like, I shouldn't be shocked at all, right? Mm-hmm. To think, oh, yeah, ISPs are doing this. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and so the, the first thing about them, like, hiding that they're throttling yeah, they use they use a program that prioritizes um, network. Basically, uh, back in the day when carriers used to give um, plans, you sign up for a two year contract and you get a phone for hundred bucks or whatever. There was not as much uh, apps, and you know, before the iPhone, there was really nothing heavily that would drain their network. Well, nowadays we got everything is going to um, all data nowadays. You know. From gaming yeah. to to uh, video streaming to 1080p right. to I yeah. mean sooner or later we're going to yeah. be 8K, 8K and um, 
for a 4K stream, you need at least 25 megabit connection. And, and right. a lot of rural and so, areas so, so, don't have that. So correct me if I'm wrong, though, in sort of my economic understanding of this is that basically as devices became capable of consuming much more data, the major telecoms taking advantage of their uh, oligopoly status, instead of responding to the market demand by investing in improving the networks and delivering better data service nationally, instead, well, really globally, instead, they came up with a way to trick us into just going along with the current system and thinking that we're not getting screwed. And the end result is the current reality of everybody's really freaking frustrated with their ISP and their phone provider and going, wait, something's wrong here. And yeah. you know, like, I, I'm, I'm just, I've, I've kind of given up on this and just, I, I'm going to, until we get mesh nets, we're going to have to deal with this crap. Is that, is that fair understanding? Well, the, the idea is they're trying to uh, so-called optimize for every other person because like I was saying back in the day, people would, a torrent off of towers and nowadays uh when you have more more um people on the same tower what happens is is it gets congested which is a heavy load so people who've done 200 gigabytes in and within a month are going to be throttled to about 2g speed which is about 600 kilobits per second that's as right. slow as a 56k that's as low as a 56k modem um yeah and the reason being is now they're trying to push everybody to 5G uh, is because of how much data everything is pushing. Uh, you know, game, games are, you know, the newest Call of Duty is... Okay, okay, hold on, hold on. I got, I got to stop you. Okay, so, so 5G, and mm -hmm. I get that. and go, wow, they're okay, so this is how they justify or they're ginning up demand is that if people are frustrated enough, mm -hmm. they'll accept any new system. And right. I, I would assume with 5G... It's it's really more about the financial manipulation around it, the maintenance of the oligopoly powers of these uh, of these telecoms. But do you think there's anything more to the 5G conspiracy, health threats, something with the technology itself, or is it just monopoly economic manipulation? Well, what a lot of people don't understand about 5G is essentially the same thing as 4G LTE. And there's 4G LTE and there's 4G LTE Advanced. 4G LTE Advanced can get as near as speed as 5G. Technically, I don't think we need 5G. I think we can at least enhance the networks we have today because uh, it can handle it um, if they would actually um, optimize. Increase the capacity of the servers at that speed so that everybody Correct. could get 4G LTE Correct. all the time. But if, the everybody could purchase, if everybody could purchase an unlimited 4G LTE consistent mm. connection, you could yes. have a continuous data stream of HD, and it would be as much as any individual that, could consume, that's a, that's unless another, they were doing some special major data application. That's another thing they're doing, too, is if you look on your plans, a lot of time it will say uh, that they won't mm -hmm. only give you video. If, it detect, if the network detects that you're watching video, it will actually throttle you down to 480p. Uh, some plans will say they'll give you 1080p. But So even if you buy a phone, let's say there's a fancy Galaxy S20, with its you know nice screen, you won't even be able to use the actual resolution for that for that phone. So technically, you'd be streaming on their 4G LTE connection, and you're watching a video at 720p, even though the uh, phone is capable of uh, 1440p or higher. Right. So you're spending you know $1,100 uh, 
on a phone, essentially you can't really op- utilize everything unless you have Wi-Fi. Okay, so, so for me now, to, for for me as an independent media producer who's uploading content and it's part of my business, and when that slowed down, it hurts. When I can't live boy. stream, you know, it hurts. And there are times when it's like I literally can't connect on live stream. Um, but for the average consumer, you know, this might sound like first world problems. Oh, you have to watch your amazing video from the library of all the videos ever made by humanity at your fingertips. You have to watch it blurry instead of crispy on that device that fits in your pocket. Wah, 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 right. Well, but now that now there's legitimacy to that case. I want to get your response, but also. To put this in perspective, that in in the global scale of internet penetration and speed, we're like a second world country, not quite third world, but like you look at uh, Korea, Japan, um, a dozen. Correct me if I'm wrong, but dozens of other countries now have way better internet networks than actually, than we do in the United States, right? Actually, no, we are actually one of the leading heads and cellular network connections. That's why okay, well, okay, for sure, you know, but what I read now, correct me if I'm wrong, though, because I read this, maybe it was years ago, but that in at least South Korea, where they, yeah. that, that the, the South, ones who are leading are like a scale above us, right? Well, South Korea is essentially America, and if you want to get technical, uh, America <laughs> has a lot of money. America has a lot of money in Samsung, which Samsung is underneath Apple. Uh, so, in reality, right. um, you know, <laughs> We have a lot of troops over there, so of course they're going to invest in that. But like a lot of third world countries, uh, Europe, for example, Bondophone, okay. um, uh, a lot of their FIDO, a lot of their networks, no, they're still on 3G, trying to get to 4G, okay. trying to get to 5G. So the reason, the reason I was going that way was I was trying to make you, uh, trying to help you make the point about how legitimate and important this is for the potential of improving quality of life because there are things that in countries where they do have consistent data that where more things are possible, right? Yeah. So yeah. what's your response to someone going, how dare you whine? Like, you know, the Louis C.K. bit? Everything's yeah. awesome and everybody's complaining. This internet on the airplane went down. Oh, this is bullshit. Like, yeah. really, why, why, are we, why are we bothering to complain about this, really? Yeah. Well, the reality is we used to have to deal with 56K modems back in the day. I don't know if you remember that. AOL, you know, you got mail. So, you know, we've come a long CDs. way. Yeah, we've come a long way. But even carriers nowadays are still getting in trouble. AT&T was fined uh, quite a bit of money recently. And I actually got a check from this for $30 because back um, in the day I had lines. For yeah, there's a big element of fraud, obviously, yeah. throughout all uh, They were throttling. And what people don't know is if you go to you, let's say you go to YouTube, the network will understand what apps you're using, especially video. Video is a big one. Netflix <clears> was into a big uh, argument with ISPs over uh, their videos. Hulu, same thing. It's only going to get worse because a lot of people are now going with YouTube TV, Hulu TV, instead of actually using like uh, Dish Network or DirecTV. It's, it's streaming television. So that's why there's a need for uh, faster 5G because of the ping. It really comes down to the ping. How fast that response between you clicking that button and it gets right. to the device. You can have as much bandwidth as you want, but if that response 
is let's say you have a 300 uh, millisecond response. That's why games like Call of Duty or thing you have lag. That it's millisecond, yeah. yeah, it's not doable. <clears throat> so that's why they want 5Gs because you can do things. <clears throat> it's almost like if you were standing there, the ping is almost instantly. So that's where so, you know health emergency equipment, you know. And there was another thing that Verizon uh, well, got in trouble for is they uh, got in trouble for um, throttling. I don't know if you remember those fires uh, a few years ago in California. Uh, yep. They got in trouble for throttling. They, Verizon got in trouble for throttling all the fire departments and all the emergency e-response or the first responders. And mm. um, they called, they actually called Verizon and Verizon said, well, you need to upgrade to this tier plan. Even though they're like, hey, we're trying to, we're trying to fight these fires. We're trying to, you know, do, they're very dependent on their devices. So you can imagine if we had 5G, how well it would help, help, you know, the infrastructure, you know, medical wise. Yeah. And what's happening now is since T-Mobile and Sprint merged, uh, T-Mobile is actually setting up a first responders called FirstNet and it's free for all first responders and actually runs off their 5G network which 5G networks don't have a big load right now. So I don't see them putting tiers on that anytime soon because that's the idea is to let people just, you know, fly on that. Before before you, this is all really good stuff. We're going to take as long as you need to get to everything you want to say related to this. But I got before I forget, I have a few things that I I wanted to interject with that that you made me think of here. Um, First, in terms of the control, if they're able to – limit bandwidth which you were saying is they're they're able to kind of steer video traffic yep. to different sources two different platforms not only is that a form of economic fraud and manipulation this is profiteering is. taking advantage of corporatism yeah. all these things in government but it's mm-hmm. also a way to control the conversation it makes censorship worse it makes censorship effective whereas if oh, the yeah. dominant paradigm were to shift to something decentralized because everybody had the bandwidth that we're capable of they wouldn't be able to like me being censored on youtube would be irrelevant essentially um but then two other things that that, that i think are, are worth pointing out that that you you kind of hinted at that are that are made possible when everybody has uh the bandwidth that we're capable of delivering today one is emergency response think of what we can do with virtual medical services in emergencies mm-hmm. think of what we can do uh, in, in natural disasters and in, in, in coordinating responses in controlling drones, what we're going to be able to do in d- deploying drone technology in emergency response. Imagine that for fighting fires, you're going to need bandwidth for that, for all those oh, things. Yeah. And the second one is virtual interaction. And there's a, a great, great demand for this in, in the age of coronaphobia. People want to do yep. say political conventions virtually where it's not, I'm staring at a screen, worried about my connection. It's I get to stand in a virtual suit and have 3D goggles and have fully immersive experiences as, as if I was at these things in person. I can go and explore other worlds with technology from a safe place, whether it's from a virus or I want to walk around the rim of a volcano with a heat-proof bot. Now I, it's just all of these amazing things that we have the technology are being held back just because of the stifling of connectivity. Oh yeah. And uh, it's, it's also comes to the point where um, even nowadays, some carriers, even like hard line carriers are even doing tier lines. 
Uh, I have a buddy that lives in Pennsylvania, and he gets a terabyte a month on his hardline uh, connection. Especially with rural areas that have a lot of people connected to one hub, they will start doing that too. So throttling mm-hmm. hasn't just come to just wireless carriers. It's also on some hardwire carriers too, which is yeah. uh, And that sad. keeps people watching the mainstream media. That's yes. that's you know this is this is this is probably a bigger dynamic in this is that if you're if you're old media or old telecommunications you don't want this because this new one will put them all out of business and so anything they can do to sabotage or slow down this transition and that means censorship and the maintenance of, of the old mainstream media is, is perpetuated by this problem. Yeah. And it's even comes to the point where let's say you hit your data point, you use up all your data and you're being throttled. What the network will do is let's say you made a phone call and I didn't meet my data and I made the phone call, guess who's going to get first? Me. Because you used all your data. So if you, so it's come to the point where like, uh, even like nowadays, I don't know if you heard of Google Studio. Have you ever heard of that before? Google Studio? No, please introduce me. Basically Google Studio is now uh, Google set up their own servers for game, gamers, right? And basically you connect to their servers and you run the game off their server and you don't need anything. You can do it off your phone. You can do it off the, the computer. You don't need any console. You don't need anything. But guess what? You need bandwidth. You need, you need inter- a good internet connection to run that Call of Duty from Google Studio. And that's nowadays, that's how a lot of things are going is remote play, wireless, um, so there's essentially a need for 5G. And, and another thing people don't realize is your home router is actually worse than your wireless connection, uh, than wireless outside because your, your router at home also does a 2.4 gigahertz. There's now some routers that do tri-band. Like the routers here at my house that I have set up for me and CJ are Wi-Fi 6. I don't know if you know what Wi-Fi 6 is. It's the new standard, uh, it does 8X. It can do 2 gigabits over a wireless connection at your house. And so um, even even if you have like a really good uh, router, you still need the, the bandwidth to be able to push that router, you know. And a lot of routers are also uh, unsecure. There's been re- uh, there's been studies on, on half the nation, pretty much half the nation routers are, their security of their updates or their firmware is actually uh, easily crackable, I mean, I'm constantly updating my my routers with security holes, patches, I mean all kinds of things. And that's another same thing with phones. Phones are the same way. They're they're many pretty much many computers. And I wanted to make it across that a lot of phones nowadays people don't realize they're not being updated. If you go into settings and look at your phone, it will tell you what security patch your phone is on. And um, some phones haven't been patched in a couple of years. Like a lot of people hold on to their phone for a lot longer, which is understandable. But if you realize you keep all your data, you keep your banks, you keep everything on your device, and you're using an old phone that still has security flaws, you can easily easily be uh, exploited, hacked. You know, your information can be uh, taken. I mean, there's been a lot of apps that are maliciously can steal your information. Um, but I would say mm-hmm. at least a third of the world doesn't even realize that their phone is outdated, if not more. Especially all those cheap throwaway phones that never get updated. Um, I'm a big fan of updates because they they fix things, they patch loopholes, and 
even CPUs and computers had had. Uh, I don't know if you heard of what uh, Intel had something called meltdown. Uh, there was a flaw inside of a CPU that can exploit your computer. I mean, there's a lot of things, and Intel came out and had to patch that <coughs> real fast. Well, all I, this- I just go by the assumption that nothing I nothing I do digitally is secure. Like it, it, well, you, you know, can, like it's, well, you, you know, cause, then, cause the device is not like, I, I mean, I, I, yes, I use, pa- I'm not saying I don't use passwords, but right. I, you know, it's a, it, it's a big padlock on a wooden door that you could kick down if you want. Yeah. And no, no communication, no data is more secure than the device it's on. And as long as your Correct. device is connected to the network and right. it's not that it's not that Verizon is evil. It's that no. government puts a gun to their head and says, "Give us the back door, or we put you out of business." Well, that's that's the threat government represents. That, that point right there, what I was going to say right there is, actually, the carriers nowadays do not want to give the government information. Even Google has actually stood up to them because nowadays bad PR means uh, people don't want to use your stuff. Yeah, I don't believe uh, that. They're making it look like that. Does the government well, still really not? Are, well, look, oh, look, they're look like, at, hey, you know how we used to do this in the open? We're going to do this behind a curtain now. Now it's going to look good. Yeah, but, well, the carriers have their own incentives of doing that because they get more customers. PR. PR well, it's PR. Exactly. They want, it's, it's just PR for them. They, all they want is to give their customers false confidence in the security of their network. But what Google has done is taken steps into implementing security and privacy things on your devices now so like with android 11 you can actually see everything coming in on your phone you can see if an app is using your microphone you can see if an app is using your camera you can block an app from using your location you can now when you run an app you can now say only use your location in oh, the yeah. app hey, yeah but you know what you you, can, there's you no can way you can you get can pulled do... over by a hold on there's no way that you can get pulled over by a cop mm-hmm. And have him take your phone to his vehicle for a few minutes and know that he wasn't able to pull everything off of it. No, he can't. He had, the cops actually have no, no, um, they would need a lot of the information. Over a thief? If your phone gets stolen? Uh, okay, do you remember, do you remember, uh, that shootout that happened with the whole Apple iPhone? That uh, FBI was trying. Yeah, to Yeah, where 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 Apple was saying we're we're trying to defend our customers' privacy. And you guess how what FBI did? They could not get into the to the phone. They actually went to a known hacker that used. There's a, a program called iPonage because I used to okay. jailbreak phone iPhone. iPonage was his hacker. They went to him and made and asked him. They paid him to make a backdoor so they could get into that phone. Apple would refuse to do it because they have their, they have their their what is their image that they need to portray that they're for the customer. Right. Regardless if we want to say uh, the government's involved or whether or not it's still the action of what they did, and they denied the FBI, they denied all those businesses, and they said we will not open that. So the FBI had to do something else on their own, and they actually went to known, you know, known. Uh, exploiters in that you know Mac and whatnot to open the phone, and which that's what they did. So, but my point is, is if you look at what they're doing as far as privacy and location and stuff, they're trying to make strides into letting people control their own stuff. Because what happens is, if no one, if everybody sees uh, that they can see your information, they're not going to use your product. 
Like, do you know, do you know that uh, company Blue, BLU? They sell cheap phones. Okay, well they're out of Florida, and about about two and a half years ago, they were caught. The hacker caught one of their kernels was actually leaking information to China on a secret server. So a lot of people don't know that Apple uh, and Amazon pulled all their phones off of Amazon and and came out with a statement and basically Blue was but thrown on their bus, they're blasted. And they're they're uh, based out of Florida. A lot of people use them. They're cheap, cheap throwaway, you know, like budget phones. Mm-hmm. Well, right. you know, but what I'm saying is, yeah, privacy and you know, big government and all that. I think a lot of the carriers and a lot of a lot of the co- uh, companies are taking uh, taking it themselves, you know, like controlling, letting people control their own privacy because they see it that the consumer nowadays are not being stupid. Like they're seeing that you know that that you know they can control their own information, they can you know if basically they can turn it off you know what I mean. So, um, but anyways, get back to the uh, ISP throttling. What I yeah, well, I got, I got one more question as a sidebar to get onto the security issue there. It's okay. But uh, I, I, want, I want to ask you, we you know it's everything you had to say there was amazing. I, I just I want to get to to one other question that's kind of for my personal conclusion here, mm. because I take a uh, simplistic approach to all of this for my own digital security, yeah. which is uh, that I, I take, you know, I, I put the padlocks on the wooden doors for all the petty stuff, like you yeah. know, my bank accounts and my crypto accounts and things like yeah. that. Um, but my basic assumption for security of information is that if I was saying something, um, I would never put anything in digital format that I wasn't willing to have go public. Yeah, because there's there's no unless it was a message, photograph, email, video, uh, audio recording, nothing. And, uh, you know, I would never say something to another human being that I wouldn't stand behind that way. And if it was private and I needed to ensure the absolute privacy of it in a way with peace of mind of knowing that it was impossible, I'd say. I either have to go analog or do end-to-end offline encryption yeah, with air gaps. Yep, yep. Yeah, and yeah. for everybody, and and the, the purpose for that for me is I don't have to think about it. I don't have to worry about it. You know, don't have anything to hide. If you know that hiding is more trouble than it's worth in my case. But I think for everybody, it it means that any effort you put into digital security has to be weighed against that ultimate uncertainty of how secure is the device unless you yeah. go to and, and anyway so back to the ISPs if you, if you if you like that well whatever you want to say in response to that well in in general as long as your phone is being supported and you get the updates you can actually see when they release patch notes what they're patching what they've fixed you know if there's exploits fixed but i like i i constantly upgrade my routers i constantly change you know, even if some routers have built-in VPNs, and you can even see uh, if you go into your router, you can see by a log by what's you know if anything is phishing for any information or anything is you know looking at your stuff or you know you're being uh, DDoSed or whatever the case may be. But the reality of it is, is all is people don't spend enough time looking at those things. They don't really care. They just want it to work. But then when something happens, they say, they say, fuck this device, this is a piece of shit, or whatever, you know what I mean? But a lot of times, that's because the device isn't being supported. It tends to break, 
or it runs slow or it's, um, I don't know, restarts. I mean, there's all kinds of things. But, you know, that, that goes with the, the connection you're on. That goes with the device. That goes with a lot of things. But um, back to the ISPs, uh, nowadays, if you look at your carrier's plans underneath in fine print, it will tell you that how much data you're allowed to use before they throttle you. And most carriers nowadays will throttle you down to about 600 kilobits. Uh, some carriers are worse. Uh, they'll do 2G speeds. Um, the only time you really get uh, like a tablet, which is funny, I think it's funny, tablets tend to get uh, more, I don't know how would you put it, more prioritization. They'll actually let the tablets go to 1080p. I guess people don't use them as much. I don't know. But now uh, with Verizon's 5G, they'll let you use that unlimited. But their 5G is kind of kind of shitty right now. It's a total different version what what uh, Sprint and T-Mobile are using. Uh, there's like two different versions of 5G now. These are MM Wave, and then there's uh, what Verizon's using ultra wideband, which it can only go a few blocks. Uh, that's why they have certain sections. It's not really nationwide. Um, but, uh, yeah, so if you're using a hotspot or you're using anything like that, um, what's going to happen is after you use your, after you use your data, even a highest plan, I think Verizon has 75 gigs. That's your threshold. Once you hit that threshold, if the, if the tower isn't congested, what will happen is that prioritization program will let you fly. It'll still let you fly to your maximum capabilities. But what happens if it more and more people connect, more and more use data, you will get basically thrown on the back burner because you've used your threshold. Right. And well, let's say, hey, Jim, Jim had a question here he wanted to get in. Yeah, if I could, uh, I, I'd just like to know, because my phone, I got the iPhone 11, and it said, when I go into Phoenix, it says at the top 5G LTE. So, and, and in certain and, areas, if you go to certain well, areas of Phoenix, it'll go back is, down to 4G LTE. That's AT and T, right? Yeah, AT and T. Okay, that that's a whole that's another time. Okay, AT and T was to me the biggest kind of scammer last year or the year before. Five G, five G or LTE or five G E has an E on the end, correct? Yeah, yeah, something. Like okay, that. that just that all that is is LG LTE Advance. It's just it's LTE. It's four G. Let, uh, let me explain a little bit about this. Okay, back in the day when 2G and 3G were coming about, um, uh, AT&T decided to come out and say 3G was 4G. Okay, there's two different types of networks. There's HSUPA and HSDPA. High-speed packet access, high-speed upload packet access. And those are pretty much 3G speeds. Now, they can get really fast. They can go up to like 100 megabits per second. So what AT&T decided to come out and say, oh, we got, we got, uh, 4G, which in reality it's like 3, 3G, or you can say 3, 3.5G if you really want to get technical. And now they're doing the same bullshit with 5G. That 5GE is not 5G. It is actually 4G. I don't notice any Yeah, it is. It is no difference. It is just a little icon on the corner that they decided to change. And Apple went along with it. Now Sprint. Right, well, to, hey, Sprint I'm, I'm, to I'm sorry to interrupt, but hey, we gotta man, we gotta be wrapping this up pretty soon. We're way over time. We got people in our audience waiting to get back to uh to them. 
uh, about our, our contest for the, the today's show uh, to wrap this up. Man, uh, I want to talk to you. We're going to keep talking about uh, what we can do for off-grid internet here in Northern Arizona. But for these bigger problems, I'm glad we have the opportunity today to bring your perspective to our audience. So do you have any final thoughts to wrap up? Um, no, I mean, uh, just I say with you, uh, just whatever your devices are using, make sure you see if when the last time they're updated, I would say uh, if they're still supporting even your routers and your modems. Uh, I suggest replacing every few years, get something new, um, at least something with a built-in VPN, you know, to help your security, even your phone. The same thing, make sure that uh, whatever provider that you're using for your phone, make sure that security patch is updated. Um, iPhones are pretty good at uh, uh, updates for Apple, but uh, Apple is kind of another story, maybe for another another day. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's, you know, that's what I want to say. All right. Thanks so much for joining us, brother. We'll be in touch. I appreciate it. All right. Comment Jim Freedom. Let's put a big bow on this one. Do we have any more super chats yeah, from, we from we no. two additional super chats? Two more super chats. All right. Yeah. M Zooter. Super uh, sticker is what comes up here. Was it? Super oh, there's Thanks for Thanks being Thanks for being you. you. All right. Welcome to the Producers Club. And then for 199 born in the USA, sub Adam, thoughts on Russell J. Gould. I don't know who that is. You'll look that up. I'll look. Monday. Yeah, I'll look Monday. Well, I'm gonna. I'll go ahead and type it in right now. So I got it pulled up just for you. Um, but w- do we have any more less deadly thans? Uh, we don't have any new ones. Flint's still the winner. Really? Yeah. That's it. You want to go over the list? Um. All right. Russell J. Gould. Um. That was. Born in the USA uh, with this another one. Say much love, and I still support you. Please do a vid about Russell J. Cool. So mm. We're gonna look. All right. That. Yeah. Just. Yeah. Uh, why do I know this name, Russell J. Cool? All right. We'll get to it for Monday. So, should we do the list one more time? We'll do, we'll do both of our lists to wrap this up. I don't have my list. Of the less deadly then? Really? All right. Well, then that's it. Well, then, so whoever it was, what happened? Somehow my tab got closed that I had that. Uh Uh-oh. Well, we'll figure it out. N-Statism was the one with the Flint one. And N-Statism was in for 20 bucks today anyway, right? Awesome. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, yeah, thank you to everybody who chipped in today, and I'm um, glad we took that extra time for people to be able to take advantage of this one-time special offer to join the Producers Club for a one-time super chat of $20. You can still join the Patreon way through patreon.com slash Adam versus the man. And congratulations to everybody who took advantage of this deal today. Uh, wait, did anybody come up with the movie analogy? I was thinking about that. The movie analogy where, where there's someone under the spell and you kill the guy and everybody's got to be free like an instead alien of... mind control movie, but I'm, that I'm not thinking of. That's the, that's the genre I've narrowed it down to. It's got to be something about like, uh, like or science fiction movie. mind control. Yeah. Some kind of science fiction mind control. There's one in that genre somewhere that I'm just for some reason not able to. I can't believe nobody in our audience thought of that today. 
Because we, we were so close with so many different examples. Sleeping. But we didn't get to that. <laughs> Gus turned off the Sleeping Beauty. That's not what we're talking about, Gus. Who was, who was the, uh, was it end statism? Had the Had Flint. Less than, yeah. Coronavirus. Coronavirus. Drinking Flint's water. Less deadly than drinking the water in Flint, Michigan. Thank you guys so much for an awesome Friday show. It's been a lot of fun. Join us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Adam versus the man. Next week, going to 9 to 11 a.m. Pacific time. With that, more peace and love, y'all. Be excellent to each other. Thank <laughs> you.